Champaign, Illinois. This is the Jumping the Rail podcast with your hosts, Mark Redmond and Mike Nartolinas. To episode number seven. All right, we got episode number seven of the Jumping the Rail podcast. This is Mark Redman. I'm joined by my tag team partner, the only man in the United States that can see John Cena, my buddy Mike Nargelinas. Narge, how's it going, buddy? It's going pretty well, and I have actually seen John Cena. I knew it. I've seen it with my own two eyes. And also on my right, we got my buddy Marco on the uh, on the dials here. How's it going, buddy? Howdy. So, Narge, we got a big one today. What do we have going on tonight? Oh, we got somebody calling in. Oh. We've got our first interview ever in the history of this show, and it's a doozy. Because we have uh, Mr. Bill Alfonso joining us in about a half an hour. The manager of champions. Yep, calls it right down the middle, daddy. But, uh, no, we're really looking forward to that. It's going to be awesome. And then, also, at the end of the show today, we will be announcing our guest for the next episode in two weeks. Oh, yeah. And I think that's going to be a fun one, too. I think so. Yeah, we've got a lot of good things lined up here. We've yeah, got, got a lot cooking. of things cooking. Uh, it, it, we're, we're on the ground level. Jump on. Let's Heck go. yeah. Jump yeah. the rail with us. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cheap pop. Cheap pop indeed. <laughs> but uh, I guess we'd be foolish not to get into a little bit of news to kick things off, Narge. Yeah, there's been plenty yep. as usual. So. Yeah. I think the uh, top story going around is uh, Ring of Honor. They announced at the end of December after the final battle, so they're going to shut their doors for about four months. That's when I'm here and shutting the doors and then releasing every yep. single wrestler on the roster from their contract. From what I heard, everybody that's under contract through the end of this year is getting an outright release, and then I think there's some that are signed like for multiple years. I think they've got – they're either going to hang on to them or they're going to get released during around April or so. I'm not sure exactly what the details are on that. All the, all the fine print. Yeah, from what I read. A lot of red tape, I'm sure. When they come back, they want to focus on more of the unsigned independent talent, which there is plenty of. There's oh, yeah. a robust. That's kind of back to the spirit of what it was at its beginning in 2002. Because it was very independent and a lot of unknown talent that got their start there. Oh, yeah. I You know, and with COVID and everything last year, you knew that some of these companies were going to suffer. I do think a company like Ring of Honor's taking notice of some of these other independent companies. Again, one of oh, our yeah. favorites, Game Changer Wrestling. Yeah, yeah. They're thriving off unsigned independent talent that kind of comes and goes. I mean, they have their homegrown roster, but yeah, maybe Ring of Honor wants to get back to that and prove that they, too, can run you know, that, that big dog independent show again. Yeah, I can see that happening. Excuse me. <laughs> But uh, speaking of Game Changer Wrestling, Arge, a couple of uh, guys got the injury bug over the weekend. And uh, it's, uh, it, it stings for everybody here because it's two of our favorite guys. This couldn't have happened at a worse time. No. The uh, the broken ankle uh, Halloween curse. Yeah. Uh, the very evil, very nice Danhausen. He got Dachhausened. 
Yeah, he uh, unfortunately, from what I I read on the internet, uh, his opponent went to do a coast to coast, mm-hmm. the old Rob Van Dam move. Oh yeah, landed right on his leg and Ugh. broke his tibia and fibia. Yeah, they. I saw a picture of the X ray on uh, Facebook, and it's uh, not a severe break, but it's bad enough to really put him on the shelf for a while. Yeah, one of the independent companies he's supposed to work for said they expect him to be available in February. If not, he'll still be there. So I think the timeline is you know relatively yeah. quick. As a, as a guy that's had a broken leg before, that tracks. It's not about how much time it takes for a bone to heal properly. Yeah. But uh, to Dan Housen, and he is one of the guys we've been wanting to get on this show. We've, we'd love to have him on for a chat. But to uh, Dan Housen, I say get well soon, Housen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the other one, our, I think, our top favorite independent wrestler right now. If we had to pick somebody we enjoy watching, old Mansur, Mance Warner, yeah. um, was doing a one-on-one with Dirty Dango, formerly Fandango right, of the right. WWE, uh, threw him over the top rope, and then psh, snapped his ankle as well. So Get the old Sid Vicious. Yeah, so these guys are on Vicious. the shelf. He's He got ankle and knee injured, right? Uh, that I, I knew he broke his ankle the, as far as the knee that I don't know. I, I know thought I read good. something that he was holding his knee also, but I don't know that because we didn't see the actual match where it happened. No, I haven't seen the video. I do know that. Honestly, you know, I don't know if I want to see the video. Yeah. You, you got a squeamish stomach. Me, I don't, I, I, don't I can't mind. do the leg breaks. I can't watch <laughs> Sid. I can't watch Joe Theismann. You know, it, it goes Robin Ventura back in years ago had a nasty break in spring training. Oh yeah. I think of some of the UFC stuff I've seen. Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva is a big one. Yeah. one. But uh, my suggestion to anybody listening, get on Pro Wrestling Tees. Go out there, buy these guys merchandise. Oh, yeah. They're going to need the money the next couple of months. Dan Housen, Mance, both have some exceptional merch. Uh, I own a oh, couple yeah. of pieces from each of them. Uh, definitely get on there, support those guys. It'll be awesome to see them back soon as they uh, – Mance was just released from his MLW contract. Right. And with Dan a handful ha- of other guys. Yeah, and then Dan Housen, just, he's getting released from his Ring of Honor contract. So, so. – Talk about bad timing, but yeah. these are guys I expect yeah. to see mainstream oh, yeah. by the yeah. end of next year so, once they're healed up. So, yeah, definitely speedy recovery to Manser and Danhausen. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a no pun intended. It's a really bad break for both of them, but I expect them both to land on their feet. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Just want to let you guys know we have uh, several live listeners tonight. Well, hello to our live audience out there. If this is your first time, welcome. We've got uh, Joe Hammerslough. Hey, Hammer. How's it going, buddy? Dwayne Carter. I know that guy. Stacy Rebman. I think you've met her. Hey, she's a fox, man. Jonathan Mayer or Meyer? Mayer, yeah. Mayer. We is met listening him in, in, uh, up in uh, a Floyd Fisher. Yeah, hey, Floyd, Floyd was a longtime fan back when I used to do my independent wrestling. I'd met Floyd through the New Breed Wrestling Alliance. Uh, Floyd, great guy. Floyd, welcome. Appreciate you listening. And uh, last but not least, since he was the first one to try to join up, Kyle Reed. Ah, uh, Kyle. Uh, our Kyle. buddy. Yes, absolutely. Hey, before we get too far, I do want to point out, today we feel like a big-time podcast because we actually have a sponsor today that's helping us out. And Without this sponsor, we would not be doing the interview, so everybody should definitely check out the sponsor. Yes. Uh, Mark, give it to him. Sure. It's my uh, buddy Dustin Danger from Oakwood, Illinois. Uh he owns a business called the Rebels Fair Collective, LLC. It's uh, based out of Oakwood. It's a uh, music shop, recording studio. Uh, he sells vinyl. He sells 
cheap instruments. You can get anything you need to do lessons. And uh, he also wanted me to plug on their Facebook page, facebook.com slash rebelsfare. That's R-E-B-E-L-S-F-A-R-E. And you can also hear Dustin. He's a awesome musician. I know from experience. I played music with him for years. He has uh, music on all your streaming sites under his name, Dustin Danger, and also with the group Danger and Germ, and I encourage everybody to check them out. But uh, Dustin, thanks a lot for helping us out with this. And uh, yeah, without Dustin, we would not have our interview today. And we are very appreciative. He will be getting a fruit basket, I think, from us at some point. Absolutely. I'll drop that off to your doorstep, Dustin, anytime. Just shoot me your address. (laughs) But uh, no, it goes without saying we appreciate the sponsorship. That's an opportunity for anybody out there that's listening to the show. Definitely, yeah. Uh, You'd like to sponsor? Shoot one of us a message. We'll figure it out. But because of Dustin, we're able to have this great guest. We'll be happy to shill anything you want. We'll probably even talk about Dustin again before the end of the show. I'm sure. sure. So we'll mention it. Uh, he's also Dustin is a big wrestling fan. We grew up watching wrestling for years, and he did send me a question to ask Mr. Bill Alfonso. So I will be posing that to him later. Fantastic. Uh, so let's uh, get back into it. The uh, other, I think, the big news piece over the last couple of weeks was the uh, situation with Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair on SmackDown a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, apparently the, uh, Charlotte's got an attitude problem. That's what I'm hearing. She's a flair. I mean, what is this a surprise? It's it's not a big surprise. She's living the gimmick. She is living the gimmick. I honestly think that she wants out of her contract. I really, I really do. I think she's massively in love with Andrade. Her dad's not. I, th- I really think that that's where she she'd like to go. I, I really do. I wouldn't be surprised by that. My concern with that is, and I know it's not much better in WWE, but. Will there be suitable competition for her elsewhere? Because to be honest with you, unless you're going to, I mean, I'm never going to say AEW because they I always thought they had kind of a thin ladies division once you get past your Britt Bakers and your Thunder Roses and Sheeta, you know. True. But outside of getting Tessa Blanchard, there's really not a lot of women on Charlotte's cow like her level in the ring. No, uh, Impact is not not much better by any means either. Impact so. has a surprisingly good women's division. They got Diana Perrazzo, which was a dream match for Charlotte. And then they got Mickey coming. She's their ladies' champion now. Uh, yeah, but WWE had Mickey and then didn't do anything with her. Well, so. whose fault is that? Well, <laughs> I, For me personally, the AEW thing makes the most sense. I, oh, it I definitely think her, does. Her, her dad's coming at some point. Tessa's dad's there. It writes itself. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you totally bring, can uh, pony up Shad's money to get her in. Yeah. If you bring somebody over like Charlotte, who's got this heat behind her, I really think he could kind of shoehorn Tessa in rather quickly and kind of maybe avoid some of the uh, the smoke she had. Yeah, but as well, I'm, I'm going to address the elephant in the room, though. Charlotte, there's been reports. that I'm not the, an elephant. <laughs> no. You got a big trunk, though. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to throw you off your game. <laughs> yeah, you kind of threw me what off there. The but uh, <laughs> no, the the truth is, there's been reports that the girls in the locker room don't want to work with Charlotte. Or at least that's what I've been reading. And Tess has gotten the same rep from Impact. Yeah. So, so how do you book that match? Yeah. Well, but Which I mean, has that ego? Yeah. Plus, also, do you bring both of those women in if? Pretty much the only people they would work with was each other if nobody else wants to work with them. We get a, we get a female version of Brett and Sean, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I'd 
watch Tessa and Charlotte wrestle every day for a week if I could. Cause... Absolutely. And I think Britt Baker's working her way there, too. Oh, yeah. That's somebody who... Britt's got the know. whole package, because she's... Not only is she yeah, damn she good knows. in the ring, easy, baby. <laughs> Don't make me make a phone call. I, um... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to... Hey... I'd call me Tony Schiavone. I don't know. Uh, for for me, it w- so what blows my mind about the whole situation is these two ladies came up through NXT. They're part of the four horsewomen, right? Like this was was Tessa part of the four horsewomen? I know by legacy she should be being told. Uh, no, daughter, so it was you know uh, that was Bailey, Sasha, Becky, Becky and Charlotte. Charlotte. Okay, we're back NXT. on Becky. I thought you were still on Tessa. No, oh no, I'm NXT. sorry. So. So for the attitude problem and things like that, you'd think these ladies would stick together. So I don't I don't necessarily know if Charlotte's issue is with Becky personally or if it's with the rest of the I th- ladies. I I don't know. I mean, it could be she's got a, a big hit. I don't know. You gotta talk to her to find out for sure. But I know I had read an article over the Does that mean you guys cut. are gonna try and arrange an interview? Uh WWE won't allow that, uh, based on the intel I have. So Do you have intel? I have intel. Wow. Oh my God. I know people. You're a mover and shaker, man. I got people. But I, I did read an article over the weekend that Nia Jax, when she went into business for herself with Charlotte on Raw a few weeks back, the girls in the locker room actually supported Nia I did in read that, that situation. Yeah. Dwayne, so, did you hear that? Yeah, Dwayne Carter, huge Nia Jax That's fan. his person. Yep. If, if he had a celebrity crush, it would be Nia Jax. Absolutely. And, and Nia... Hasn't been on TV for a few weeks. I know she's out selling. She's working the injury. So I'll give her a little time off. And yeah, and she'll come back, fresh coat of paint, maybe yeah. get a update her look a little bit. I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to this situation, but I, I personally believe that Charlotte wants out. Yeah. I think that's, you know. Yeah, I do know that Charlotte was a little disgruntled with the way they handled the championship after the draft. She wanted yep. to drop the title to Bianca on Raw, but the uh, creative wanted to go another way and do the whole title swap on SmackDown. <laughs> Sounds very Bret Hart like. A little bit. <laughs> so we got we got the the la- the lady screw job. That sounds terrible. That what, sounds so awful. Where, where are we going? Where's, Shame on you. The next. <laughs> Where's my porn? We've uh, button? added Phil and Andrea to our Phil. list. Hello, hello. Yeah, Phil. Like Coon. the gr- Phil Coon. Like, like the Groundhog Phil. Like Phil Brooks. <laughs> yes. Like Phil, Philip, no. Philip Rivers without the lip. So actually, out of everybody on that list, I have known Phil the longest. Phil is my very first wrestling friend in grade school. I've known nice. Phil my entire life. Uh, we were kind of the first two to share with each other. Hey, we're wrestling fans. So he was nice. he was the Mark Redman uh, to, to my Narge 20 years ago. So Phil, I'm, I, thank you for listening, sir. Excellent. Excellent. He wishes he were me. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Phil. I'm sure you're a good guy. You guys guy. both have the same hairstyle. So he's a smart guy. Yeah. <laughs> so the other uh, bit of news item I got, Narge, uh, the release of Greg Hamilton, the ring announcer for the WWE, came uh, kind of out of the blue. Yeah, for my money's worth, uh, and I know a buddy of mine, Chris Hunter. Uh, Mark, what are we do? The producer's messing the whole show up. Uh, Greg Hamilton was, for my money's the best announcer in WWE. Oh, he's great, yeah. So, great great pipes, good delivery. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of the other Mike Roan. Is that his name? No, I don't care for him. He's a little rough. I mean, Justin Roberts was, was the best one that they had after post Finkel. He is. I, I the dapper I'm, yapper, as Jr. calls I'm him. I'm going to get off a little. Roberts overdoes it for me. A little almost. bit. He's got kind of that buffer thing. And what I really hates the Kenny Omega thing. So, what are we showing here? 
Oh, wrap it up. Just keep going. Oh, keep the producer's distracting. Today. <laughs> I am. He I'm trying to show drink. these guys what we're getting at the other end of this oh, whole yeah. thing. It looks good. So, but <laughs> Robert's a little long in the tooth these days. I think he's trying to be more Michael Buffer than. Yeah. Uh, Happy birthday, Michael Buffer, by the way. 77 right. years old Happy today. Happy birthday. Oh, do we have that button? I've got it somewhere. It's on there. Yes. Oh, it's, it's Hang on a minute. Oh, wait. I got we're Mark gonna... bouncing around. But yeah. Soundboard bounce. Sure. Go. Oh, it's not doing it. I can do it for us. Soundboard broke. Oh, let's get ready to rumble. I got a dud. So, yeah, thank you, Narge. But happy birthday to Michael Buffer, brother of UFC announcer Bruce Buffer. That's right. Who, for my money, and no disrespect to Michael, I thought Bruce was a better announcer. Oh, Bruce, talk about getting somebody hyped for a big fight. Yeah. Have you ever seen Bruce Buffer do his 360 in the ring? Yes. He will. Yeah. He jumps of, and spins. A lot of panache. He's awesome. Know. We've got a couple questions coming in. Well, at least one definitely for Fonzie. And then, Dwayne, is your question also for Fonzie? Oh, I can see the question. That is about the ring announcing. That's what about, about Lillian Garcia? Okay. I like Lillian. Lillian for... Great yeah, singer, too, by the way. Fantastic. I remember back in the day, and I'll be honest, not sexist or anything like that. No. I just, when she came across, I was like, yeah, female ring announcer. It was weird to go from Howard Finkel to... Yeah. Uh, over time, she grew on me, and yeah. I like when they bring her but back. Lillian brought then. so much to the show. She did the national anthem yeah. before every show. She was a great ring announcer. Probably, I imagine I didn't go to many of the Raws that she worked, but I imagine she was good at keeping the crowd hyped. Yeah, you know? uh, no, great ambassador. Oh yeah, brand. definitely. So, Army brat, you know she's from a military family. I'm a, I'm a Dave Penzer guy, but also you ought to check out Lillian's podcast, Chasing Glory. It's really good. It's an interview show that she does with uh, various people. Yeah, yeah. Mark Mark is the the podcast professional. I gotta, I listen to about two. Got to know your enemy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna get into uh, like I said, we got about 15 minutes. So before we bring Fonzie in. But I want to get into a little JTR history. We're going to do a little bit different today. We're not doing the usual format. So a couple of things are getting omitted from the show this week. But uh, as far as history goes, uh, on Halloween night, 1979, Giant Baba defeated Harley Race to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, which uh, was pretty common in all Japan. Baba would win the belt for a few days during a tour and then drop it back to the champ before he went back home. I think he did with Harley. I think he did with Flair a few times. But, uh, yeah, that's one of the... Uh, I don't know if that's... I think that's one of the first times he actually won the title from Harley. Uh, one of my favorite things, also on Halloween 1989, the genius defeated Hulk Hogan by countout on Saturday Night's main event. You remember that, Narge? I do. That was a big deal. Yeah, remember the aftermath? Uh, no. Mr. Perfect stole the belt from Hogan and then went backstage and destroyed it on camera, like with a hammer, like... Completely trashed the belt in, in front of Mean Gene. I am not sure why I don't recall this. I recall the genius Lanny mm-hmm. Poffo winning, right. but I don't remember the belt destruction. Yeah, and there was always a theory that that was the belt they used to make the hardcore title, but that actually wound up being a myth. That's not true. Yeah. But that's I I honestly thought that the first time I saw the hardcore title. Well, the, the fact you mentioned that, I'm almost positive I read today that the hardcore title debuted. Was it this week? Yeah, that's actually in my list. We're going to... And fully... Yeah, okay, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, we got a couple days to get through there. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Oct- on November 1st, 97, Bret Hart signed his contract with WCW while still mistake. technically working for the WWF. He hadn't left yet. He just he'd signed his contract and was finishing up. 
but uh, he would fulfill his final commitment for the WWF at Survivor Series eight days later. And boy, did he. Yeah, no big news there, right? No. That was just another old run-of-the-mill match. Right, so. right, right. Uh, also, November 1st, 2007, WWE announced that effective immediately, all violations of the company's wellness policy will be made public. It doesn't take long for the addendum to be used. Chris Masters is the first man publicly outed under the new rules. He was suspended for two months the day after. And what was the wellness policy? Basically, know? steroids, no ah. drug use. And if you saw Chris Masters, the you'd understand why he was one of the he first to get jacked, busted. jacked to the gills. Yep. So they didn't they didn't mess with him over marijuana like every other. Sport I think that does. got in there too. Like it was that's, drugs that's in shame. general. I think drugs in general was the. Uh, I think they've kind of loosened up on. I mean, a lot these days yeah. you never hear anything about right. the wellness policy. So yeah. okay, here you go, Narge. November second, nineteen ninety eight. Twenty three years ago today. The WWF introduced the Hardcore Championship with Vince McMahon awarding the title to Mankind on Monday Night Raw. And I read today he held it for, I believe, a total of 23, 24 days, losing it to the big boss man, mm-hmm. and it's the only time he ever held the title. That's right. One time. He was the first and first and last yep. Hardcore Championship for, for the mixture. Uh, let's see. On this day in 2000, the WWF announced they had settled the wrongful death lawsuit filed by Dr. Martha Hart in regards to Owen Hart's passing in May. The Hart family is awarded $18 million, of which a portion is used to establish the Owen Hart Foundation, which has gotten a lot of talk the last month or so with the uh, Owen Hart Memorial Tournament coming to AEW and the proceeds going to the Owen Hart Foundation. Yeah, I think uh, 2022 is going to be a big year for Owen Hart. I really do. I hope so. I mean, that's, it's like uh, I said a few weeks ago. Anything that brings light to Owen and pays tribute to him, I'm all for because I love watching Owen wrestle. There is, and there's a generation of fans that don't have any no. clue. And from everything you always read, I've never heard anybody have a bad word to say about him. No. Uh, they, you know, he was a practical joker, they said. Oh, yeah. It was always, big River. It was harmless. It was yeah. fun. So, uh, well, Tommy almost got Stu to kill Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> that's a story you need to hear on Bruce's podcast. Uh, let's see. On this day in 2007, Lillian Ellison, the fabulous Moolah, passed away in her hometown of Charleston or Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah, and the Moolah uh, looked revered for many years. And here recently, though, a lot of negativity around the fabulous Moolah. You it's don't hear a dark, lot of good things. It's dark side of the ring again. There's yeah. uh, a lot of bad press. And uh, I watched the Luna Vachon episode a couple weeks back. I have not seen that yet. And uh, same thing, more just Mula being controlling, Mula kind of forcing herself uh, relationships with some of the ladies. So very agenda driven. Uh, very per- business. Personal. Was there also a Me Too factor to this? You're saying? Uh, it's or been that's been or whatever you'd call that's it. That's been accused of, yeah. of Mula. Wow. Yeah, Mula wanted to keep her spot. Uh, but use some of that influence to kind of take advantage of some of the uh, the, the younger young ladies girls, yeah. in wrestling for they yeah, would they would live reasons. in her house and people have said that the conditions weren't great there but yeah. that's a story for another time we yep. don't want to get into that uh, uh, November third nineteen ninety eight Jesse the Body Ventura got elected governor of Minnesota and I had no idea that he was running for governor at the time you know we we're in Illinois. But I watched the Today Show, and they said, Jesse Ventura is the governor. And I had to stop and look back at the TV. He's like, what? I, I remember the same reaction. <laughs> I was watching the election coverage that night. I think my parents were watching. Right. And I heard the name, and I was like, 
Well, I know that guy, the body. Right. The body. <laughs> Jesse the mind, as he would yeah, be called mind, for a while. Yeah. And now he's, I think he's lost his mind, if anybody's heard he's, him. He's, uh, uh, he's big on the conspiracies. The aliens and all sorts of weird the stuff. The one that, so. actually, a lot of his stuff, it sounds like he knows what he's talking about if you like <laughs> to the untrained ear. But I do like listening to him talk about his theories on the JFK assassination. It's just that subject always fascinated me. Uh-huh. Well, you mentioned earlier that JFK is alive, right? That that's what no that, that was no no today it was JFK Jr. was going to be down at Daly Plaza in Dallas with, with JFK. Oh, I didn't hear that. No, part. both of them. JFK I, and JFK Jr. are going there, but that was to it. Daly Plaza to help Donald Trump get the presidency. Well, again. apparently they didn't show up. I personally hope they didn't give him an well, entire heard, appearance fee for it. Well, the story I heard <laughs> Jack Jr. is at the Rolling Stones concert. From what oh. uh, my better half told he's me. Gonna enter now, he's going to enter now. Like I said earlier, he's going to in- introduce Tupac. That's he's right. He's going to come That's out, right. too. So Wait know. a minute. <laughs> Charlie Watts is still playing, isn't he? Yeah. I think he is. <laughs> That's it. Uh, Anyways, the off of the quidiots. Yeah. So uh, here's a fun one, Narge. On November 4th, 96, I was going to say uh, one word and one number. Pillman 911. <laughs> the most notorious I think segment ever on Monday Night Raw during the during the Attitude Era. What what year was that? Ninety six. I was twelve, and it was maybe the the craziest thing I've ever seen in professional wrestling. So Nar- Marco uh, doesn't know what we're talking about. Pillman had gotten his ankle broken by Steve Austin on TV, mm-hmm. and the story is he actually had to have his ankle fixed from his car accident. They had to go back and re-break his ankle. Hang on, Matt. Uh, last minute announcement: Kyle Reed just told us Elvis was also there today. Elvis Costello? Elvis Presley. Uh, I, I told you, Elvis, the, the, the mothership landed. I thought they maybe Elvis Blanco, the off. Canadian figure skater. But, it could have been that one, too. Anyways, but uh, Anyway, but, so Pillman had to go off to get his ankle fixed. Hey, Dustin Danger joined us. Hey, Dustin. How's it going, buddy? But uh, basically, Steve Austin tried to break into Pillman's house on camera during an interview, and Pillman pulled out the old Arn Anderson special, got the, uh, had the Glock 9mm out, and was I remember that discussion? Yes, but uh, then Pillman threatened well, to shoot his ass. Long story short, Austin broke the door down. Pillman stood up, pointed the gun, and then the screen went black. Nobody knew what happened. And Jim Ross lost Kevin his Kelly. Mind. Oh, was, that's right. It was it was Kevin, Kevin Kelly. Ke- well, Kevin was there, but who he was, was there in the arena. The Lawler was losing right? his mind on yeah. commentary. He was telling to call the cops. And it was just it was a fiasco. Oh, we'll try to find a clip of it and put it up on it's our good uh, TV. Page. It made for some shocking TV. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, November fifth, ninety four, when Worlds Collide pay per view from WCW and AAA. This was the uh, match that saw Eddie Guerrero and the Love Machine lose a hair versus mask match to Octagon and Elio Del Santo. So we saw Eddie get his head shaved. And this was cool because this is the first. This was the first time I'd ever seen Art Bar wrestle. This was Eddie's old tag team partner, and he's the guy that invented the frog splash. For those that don't know, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, the juicer. Yep. Uh, his brother was Jesse Barr. Jimmy Jack Funk, I believe. Uh, yeah, I believe that's right. Yep. <laughs> All right, so moving on. Uh, November 605, Shimmer puts on their first show at the Eagles Club in Berwyn, Illinois. Uh, Dave Prezak, the great uh, wrestling mind from the Midwest, just uh, had promoted an all-women's show on the independents. And it's still going strong today, from what I understand. Uh, yeah, I don't know much about Shimmer. I've heard of it, but that that's more you think. It's a lot of a lot of <laughs> girls you've heard of have come through Shimmer. Oh, under, no, yeah, under are they based that. out of the Chicago area? Yes. Sounds like some people we should get to know about. Yes. Excuse me. 
No, Mark does not have COVID or anything. I do not. Things. I'm, just hasn't I'm recovering to stop from coughing. my frog voice from two weeks say, ago. Two weeks ago, we could barely understand him, and now. Progress, progress. Uh, let's see. On November 7th, 85, the uh, Wrestling Classic from Chicago, the first official uh, like pay-per-view only show from the WWF, because WrestleMania was pay-per-view in some markets, but not everywhere. Was the classic Hogan and Orndorff? Hogan and Piper. Okay, I'm and, thinking big event. Yeah, you're thinking big event. The yeah. Wrestling Classic was the tournament, and then okay. Hogan and Piper. That's right. Uh, JYD won the tournament, beating Savage in the finals, and then Piper got DQ'd because he would never take a pin. <laughs> Kyle Reed wants to let us know that Awesome Kong came from Shimmer. She sure did. Oh, Amazing you, Kong thank at you, the time. Kyle. Yeah. Shout out to Kong, recent TNA Hall of Famer, Impact Hall of Famer. And then I got one more thing I'm going to add here because we do have to get to uh, our guest here in a couple minutes. Uh, November 8th, 2005, Eddie Guerrero wrestled his last match. Uh, on SmackDown, he beat King Kennedy by disqualification. We talked about this before. Eddie uh, wrestled here in Champaign a couple days before that. I remember seeing it and then wrestled there. So, Yeah. So that's our... Uh, History, we got a couple birthdays I'll bring up. Uh, Bobby Heenan had a birthday on uh, November 1st. So happy birthday in the great beyond the, the brain. For my money's worth, one of the greatest managers of all time. And I think that's something we can ask Bill later. I'm, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. curious, you know, where Bill drew some inspiration from. Is Bobby one of those guys? Yeah. Uh, let's see. L.A. Knight has a birthday on uh, yesterday. It was his birthday. Uh, Andrade Alidolo has a birthday tomorrow on the 3rd. So happy birthday to Andrade. The national treasure Nick Aldis has a birthday on the 6th this year. He'll be 35. And hopefully he'll be back in the NWA world title picture soon enough. And uh, King Kong Bundy, his birthday would fall on the 7th this year. The late great. Late and great. The Bearcat Keith Lee has a birthday on the 8th. And then uh, the last one I got, Kazuchika Okada, the winner of the G1 this year, has a birthday on the 8th. He will be 34. The Rainmaker. Yeah, he won the G1. Did we ever find out was Abushi's uh, 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 that a legitimate That is injury? a legit injury. He hurt so, his, he I think he dislocated his shoulder. That match that did not uh, it who didn't knows go wrong. how that was supposed to go. Yeah, so you'll never know. So I think what we're going to do, we're going to take a short break, Marco. Is that the uh the plan? I you might want to make sure Bill's not calling you because he hasn't called into this yet. But, yeah, we can do that. Right. Or we can move well, on to our How about we talk 10. about our sponsor real quick again yeah. one more time. Dustin Danger. Dustin's listening in. Mark, you've all got right. all the details. Uh, actually, he. Uh, I need to actually take a break because I do need to uh, make a phone call real okay. quick. Okay, great. All right, so I'll go over the top ten uh, hardcore matches, and I'll, I'll read them off, and Narge will tell you guys <laughs> why they're so awesome. That's right. All right, now I'm this sure list was put together by the guys. Uh, so here we go. Uh, the number 10 one was Sabu versus Sandman, the tables and ladders match from ECW 1997. Fantastic match. Two great hardcore wrestlers, uh, Bill Alfonso, who we will be talking to here momentarily, the manager of Sabu at one time. So the Sandman's one of my favorite. Uh, Steve Austin drew a lot of inspiration from the Sandman. Mark, Sandman, maybe the best entrance in all of professional wrestling would come out to Metallica's Enter Sandman. Boy, that makes sense, doesn't it, guys? Smoking a cigarette and would drink about six beers before he, well, he'd pour beers on himself, but you uh, know, would attempt to drink them. So. Well, that's too bad. He couldn't keep up with Stone Cold, huh? <laughs> all 
Uh, then number nine, we got John Moxley versus Nick Gage. It's the GCW Fight Club 2021. That's our most recent. That was a couple weeks back. Um, big Nick Gage fan right here. If anybody had checked our page out, that's who I went for is Halloween. So it was Nick but Gage. But he was bested by an infant on Nick Gage's page, yeah, just Nick so y'all know. Yeah, decided to share a six-month-old's picture instead of mine. I thought, I mean, the baby was cute, but my costume was better. Uh, that was a very hardcore bloody match i recommend checking it out john moxley retained uh his title in that match right on number eight ted dibiase that's the million dollar man right Correct. ted dibiase yeah. versus hacksaw jim dugan the everything match mid south mid south so that was before he was the million dollar man uh, mark would know a little bit more about that's a little before my time uh hacksaw jim duggan though shout out to him he is recovering from pancreatic cancer surgery that Ouch. he had this past weekend so thoughts and prayers out to hacksaw all right roddy piper versus greg valentine this was the dog collar match in the starcade of 1983 uh very historic match i know from what i understand i've read in books that both of those gentlemen actually had neck issues later on in life because of this particular wow. match. that must have been pretty violent yeah must have been pretty violent. Number six, B.J. Whitmer versus Jimmy Jacobs, the NRBW IWA Mid-South 2008. And that is a Mark Redman match right there. Uh, Jimmy Jacobs back. was the zombie princess. I know a little bit about him, but those are Mark would be the, the wrestling the expert to give you that. Yeah. Number five, we got two legends, two people I've heard of, Mick Foley and Edge. From WrestleMania 22 of 2006. I was there live. That was in Chicago, Illinois. I was there for that. Fantastic match. They lit the table on fire. Edge speared Foley through it. Um, One of my favorite matches I've ever saw live. Yeah, it was fantastic. That is awesome. Number four. Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa. AEW Dynamite. This year. Yeah. Live match between two women that saw blood tables thumbtacks it really built both women and I, I think it really this is the match that set Britt baker um as a favorite for the fans the fans just really enjoy i mean she gave everything in that match so all right number three ian rotten versus axel rotten are they brothers they what storyline wise were brothers. That's going to be the Taipei death match. That is correct. ECW 1995. I will run that down for you. A Taipei death match. They both double sided taped their fist and put it into buckets of glass and then proceeded to beat the shit out of each other with them. Uh, Ian actually runs IWA mid South. He's a gentleman that I've talked about getting on this show. So if anybody would like to hear from Ian in the future, let us know. He's got a lot of great stories. All right. Number two, Terry Funk versus Jerry Lawler, 1981, and it's Empty Arena. Yeah, Empty Arena match. The They beat the, the living hell out of each other through an arena that had no fans, just a bunch of empty chairs. And this was the whole, hey, we're going to practice for COVID just yeah, 40 years 40 early? 40 years ago. <laughs> wow. And the number one greatest hardcore match, according to... This is actually Mark my favorite Mike is pro wrestling match of all time. Cactus Jack versus Triple H, the street fight, Royal Rumble 2000. Awesome match. Saw a barbed wire bat, thumbtacks. I mean, that, that match, Mick Foley, Cactus Jack, gave it his all. Uh, 
shout out again to Halloween this past weekend. Uh, Mark went as Cactus Jack. What's funny, funny enough story, I told my wife, I said, I think I'm going to dress as Cactus Jack for Halloween. We went to the bar the other night to have our pre-production meeting, and Mark shows up in his flannel, and I said, I hope you don't plan on wearing that Saturday. He said, why? And we realized we were both going to dress as the same character, so I ended up going as Nick Gage. Mark ended up going as Cactus Jack, but it worked out very well. Fantastic list. Mark does pick these top 10. He asked for my input, but that's why some of these matches I don't have a whole lot of background on because Mark uh, takes some creative liberty with it. But I do agree with the majority of these. So, All right. Mark, well, where do we stand with our gonna, special guest? We, got we are going to take a little break. You guys are going to listen to some music for a minute while I go find out from Mark. Oh, wait, he's back. Hang on. We shall return in a moment. So we are back, Narge. What did I miss? You missed the top ten list that you provided for your top ten Tuesday hardcore. I was able to give some background on a majority of that, Mark. Oh yeah. Uh, BJ Whitmer and uh, Zombie Princess. Oh, Jimmy Jacobs. Yeah, Jimmy Jacobs. I don't have a whole lot of details on that match. If you care to share some, I was actually at that match. Well, and see, and and, uh, I was at Edge and Foley at uh, WrestleMania, yeah. so I was able to. Yeah. Well, that. BJ and Jimmy are a great feud from Ring of Honor, IWA, just across the Indies in the Midwest. And this was like their big blow-off in 2008. It was so they had had an I Quit match building up to this. They had cage matches, street fights in Ring of Honor. This was a no-rope barbed wire match, which is kind of almost a specialty in IWA Mid-South. You know, they're known for their death matches. 
and this is one of the most well done barbed wire matches I've seen because they had psychology to it. They like Jimmy. There's not a lot of guys that sell better than Jimmy Jacobs. I don't know how much you've seen of Jimmy in the ring. Oh yeah, he's a very underrated performer, and Absolutely. I know a lot of guys respect him that are in the business today. So. Yeah, and great creative mind. He had he worked creative for WWE for a while. He worked creative for Impact. Uh, still doing his thing on the indies. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he actually got the win on Whitmer, and Whitmer is another guy I really enjoy, a big, powerful guy from Ohio. He's a producer and agent in AEW now. But, yeah, uh, and I told I told the folks listening you'd have a little more background on that. Just an update. I know everybody's waiting to hear from Bill Alfonso. We're having some technical difficulties. We are working through those. So yep. I promise you he's coming. He is coming. And we will uh, we'll have him, and Marco we'll get him for was, at least an hour. So. Marco was with him at the moment getting technology squared away because I am no help. But uh, it shouldn't take us uh, hopefully too long to get him on the horn, but he is uh, he is ready to go. Hey, I've got the live feed here. I mean, we can try to fill time. Does anybody have any other questions they want to ask me and Mark? Maybe not Fonzie-related. Well, let's take some questions. I've got it yeah. pulled up here. I hope you're all entertained by my wife talking about JFK and JFK Jr. in the news feed, or in, the, uh, in the thread here. <laughs> Uh, we'll we'll take some questions while we're waiting for that. How about Monday Night Raw last night? We didn't touch on that, uh, but uh, any takeaways from Monday Night Raw? Not a bad episode, not a great episode per se. Just kind of par for the course, you know? Yeah, the, the one thing I took away on Twitter was that they appreciated more wrestling action yes, throughout yeah. the show. Definitely a little more, fill, more killer, less filler. And which, what I'm wondering is... Was it Daniel Bryan who said maybe a week or two ago that in two hours of Dynamite, you would get more professional wrestling than you would yeah. five hours of WWE? Is that is that WWE answering to him, or do you think they don't really care? I don't think they really pay attention. I, don't, I know Vince doesn't pay attention to that stuff. I, I already mean, knew your answer. Creative mind. <laughs> I'm not saying that as, a, as defending the WWE or anything, but, I mean, seriously, if you uh, ever listen to Vince McMahon, he does not pay attention to the competition. Yeah. As you can hear, we are working on getting Fonzie on. Mark, Mark's uh, out in the hallway here, and we're going to get it coming soon. But, yeah. Um, so, to keep talking about Raw, uh, when when was uh, so I got a question from okay. Floyd Fisher. When was Mike Nargelinus's final match, and who was it against? Oh, that I don't know. Floyd, I do. I give you that answer. It was actually in Indianola, Illinois. Uh, new breed wrestling show against Cecil Cerveza. Wow, uh, that's a name. That was a name. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Pain Train uh, came out of retirement for one night. Uh, Indianola, Illinois, had a uh, fall festival or a fun days or something, and I said, "Hey, I'll you know I'll dust the boots off and get out there." I had my old manager with me, a man by the name of Titty Nashville. Who, that was Ringer, not his name. That was his name. Uh, <laughs> Dead Ringer for Johnny Knoxville. So wow. he, he he did the jackass Johnny Knoxville gimmick. He was Titty Nashville. I was the pain train. Um, and what, was I got, your, what was your music when you were when you were wrestling? I came out to Story of the Year, a pop punk band, and it was called We Don't Care Anymore. I had a little train gimmick at the beginning, and then it went into that. I was kind of a mix between the Sandman meets Tommy Dreamer uh, meets backyard wrestling bum, uh, right. essentially. So, <laughs> See, if, if it was me and I was using the name Pain Train, I'd go with Train Train by Blackfoot. 
Uh, train. Yeah, not a might fan. be an obvious choice. Uh, you know, there was Crazy Train and all sure, that. Yeah, I had all, all sorts train of mo- rolling or whatever. I had moves named after trains. Uh, End of the Rails was my finisher. So yeah, I was a Death Valley driver. Oh, I think we got another question here. Uh, time filler question from Jonathan Mayer. Hey, what Jonathan. is your favorite live event moment? His was seeing WWF Taz beat WCW Mike Awesome in ECW. Oh, you were there? Dude, that was awesome. I remember that on TV. Fan just, yeah. I mean, that was kind of Indianapolis. Yeah. yeah. But that was a big deal because Awesome had gone to WCW with the championship. And then uh, Vince loaned Taz to Paulie to, to get the belt off of him. Yep. And then Taz, I think, defended it a couple times on uh, WWF television. At Triple H, right? Yeah. And Triple then H. At Triple H smoked him. I think it was a fairly even match. It wasn't a squash. I don't remember that. I remember the match. Tommy screwed Taz over. Yeah, that's right. But uh, but then ta- then Taz dropped it to Tommy. Yeah, uh, yeah, he did. What was um? So what was your favorite live? Uh, mine. I honestly, there have been so many. Most of them are on the indies. To be honest yeah. with you, I think it would probably be. The 2007 Ted Petty Invitational Tournament for IW Mid-South and Women Lothian, Illinois. And uh, non-tournament, there was a match on the second night between Chris Hero and Eddie Kingston in a last man standing match. Oh, wow. And those two had a feud just, it was incredible over a couple years across multiple promotions between Chikara, CZW, IWA. Eventually, they got to Ring of Honor with it. I think they might have even done PWG. But they... Through everything but the kitchen sink, they took the little backdrop suplex on the guardrail, went through tables, trash cans. It was insane, just the stuff they would go through. And this is Hero. He's not a deathmatch guy. He's not really a street fighter. He's a technical wizard. And then you got Kingston, who's, you know. Kind of a brawler. Yeah. But, you know, Hero trained King, helped train Kingston in the Chikara Wrestle Factory. Okay. So that's where their backstory goes back, because Hero and Quackenbush would run the the school and it was like Kingston Larry Sweeney Granakuma uh, Jigsaw you know guys like that sure. all came through there I think Orange Cassidy might have come through there to be honest with you back when he was what the, Fire Ant the Fire Ant yeah. in the colony yeah I've got two moments one okay. that emotionally was awesome recording and then, in progress oh well, I'm being recorded oh. uh, so John my, my favorite recording lo- stopped my favorite live moment, I was in Indianapolis the night Seth Rollins turned on the shield. Oh, nice. Kyler and I were in the front row, and that was, uh, I, think I remember right. being mind-blowing. So, uh, not to cut anybody short, appreciate the questions. We're filling time, but I think we're going to throw it over to the manager of champions here. I think Bill Alfonso is going right. to join us. So, you called it. So, if we are ready to go, go. and we will go in and... Uh, There you are. Okay. All right. Can you hear us? Okay. Hey, there we are. All right. So let's go ahead and uh, get this started if everybody's ready. And I will uh, take this opportunity to introduce our guest. He is a legend in the uh, field of professional wrestling referees from the NWA, WWF, anywhere you can imagine. And then he transitioned that into being one of the best managers in wrestling in the 1990s in ECW. 
He is the manager of champions. The man who calls it down the middle. And is Mr. Bill Alfonso. Fonzie, you there? Hey, Daddy. Finally, you guys got me? <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, man. We're, oh, we're pretty new at this. Man. Don't worry, brother. There's problems if I uh, come on your podcast, jump in the rails, or if I'm walking through Madison Square Garden, through the curtains. There's always problems, brother. So we worked with him, we got him, and so let's go, Daddy. That's I'm ready. right. It's jumping Thanks. the rails, but it might it's go all- off the rails. So. <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful. So we're talking to you in Florida. Uh, whereabouts in Florida are we hearing from you? I'm right in Tampa Bay, Daddy, the home of uh, Tom Brady. Nice. My wife likes Tom Brady. She's for, she's a Boston girl, so he, he's he got yeah, a, a special place in her heart. Loves him too. It's not fair how good he is. Oh, he's fantastic. He's he's really a legend. And, well, what a face of, for football. You know what I mean? He's not oh, a problem yeah. He's ageless. Like Fonzie. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see him playing into his 50s. Yeah, I hope so. He's doing well. Yeah. He, he might not play into his 50, but he's doing well. Yeah. So, Fonzie, there's probably a lot of our listeners that know you from ECW. Some might know you from your, your days as a ref, but uh, I'd like to kind of give everybody a little bit of insight into you. So, I guess my first question is, were you a fan when you were growing up of pro wrestling? I certainly wasn't until my father came home. Um, he had lunch with uh, a sports writer. He used to write for the Tampa paper and he used to write in, in uh, Florida championship wrestling with Eddie Ram. He used to put an ad in the Tampa times in the sports section for the matches every Tuesday night. And then the reporter, his name was Frank Klein, would put the results of the matches. So he had lunch with my dad, and he gave my dad two comp tickets. I was about 12 or 13 years old. He came home with two tickets. He said, hey, Billy, I got tickets to wrestling. I said, wrestling? What's that? I don't want to go to wrestling. So they set up, this was like a Friday. They set up all weekend on the, on the fireplace mantle. And curiosity got me. I said, well, let me go see what this is all about. And the main event was um, Ray Malenko and Eddie Ram. And I, I walked in, seen the blonde hair and the atmosphere and fell in love with the business that night. So I became a big fan. Florida was a huge wrestling capital of uh, the United States when there were territories. So I got lucky. You know, I used to ask my dad, please see Frank Klein. Please give me those comp tickets. <laughs> and so I used to go watch his matches, fell in love with it. <clears throat> and then somehow um, some fever got into me and I wanted to do that. I said, that's what I want to do for a living. And I was always real, real small. I was like 155 pounds. I'm like 165 now. So I could never wrestle. But the closest thing to being in the ring was a referee. Right. That's what I had my mindset on. And after years of being a big fan and being in the right place at the right time, and, uh, and I got an opportunity for a tryout, and they liked me, and I was a natural and been in the business ever since. And to this day, I'm still relevant in the business because I'm doing show- shows all over the country and enjoying it. And um, that's my story. And yeah. I've been around. <laughs> so many different territories and, and companies. Uh, I've been so fortunate. Uh, wrestling has been really good to Fonzie. Um, Ted Turner, 
uh, WCW, and uh, of course, Vince McMahon and Paul Heyman and Todd Gordon with ECW and all the promoters and and uh, promotions I work for now. Yeah. So I talked to you about almost a week ago on the phone, just kind of yes. doing the pre-interview kind of thing, just having a chat. And you yes. were telling me about when, after you'd started in Florida, moving and going to Texas for a while to uh, to referee. And uh, you mentioned the, uh, I think your first big match was a uh, chain match with Terry Funk and the original Sheik. Yes. Yeah, that was in 1978. You want me to tell you how I got there? Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. So I was trying to get into business, you know, like I had been going to wrestling since I was 13 years old for the tickets for my dad and stuff. You know, that's the story I just told it. And so after a while, after six or seven years of going, I started meeting the guys and met Rocky Johnson, King Curtis, several different wrestlers, and they kind of liked me. <clears throat> and so I was kind of a runner for them and pick them up at the airport and go get sandwiches or whatever, just being around. And, um, my best friend at the time, David Canal, it's David Sierra, the Cuban assassin. Right. He was a big kid and he started wrestling and uh, he was going out to Texas. And he asked me if I wanted to go and Rocky Johnson encouraged me. Rocky Johnson, the rock's dad said, Fonzie, you ought to go and tell, tell Fritz Von Erich, tell Paul Balsh. Tell Joe Blanchard, tell the Funks, you're his little brother and you're a referee, that you're going to be with him for the six months he's booked out there in Texas and you'll be available if there's any chance of you need a referee. And so I did. I went out there with uh, hardly any money and living off of Dave and was working every night for, you know, for all the, the four territories. And um, I got to work four or five times in the six months I was there, there wasn't a referee or the referee got hurt or whatever. So anyway, I got uh, my my first match. I refereed and got paid for it was in uh, Lubbock, Texas. It was Terry Funk and the Sheik in a chain match. And I had to watch these guys. I've been around the business now for years. I've been in the dressing room with all these people, but um, it was pretty exciting. So that was, yeah, that was my first match in Lubbock, Texas. And uh they liked me. I did a real, I did a standing job. Got stabbed by the sheep with a pencil. I still got the lead mark in my arm. You know, he didn't mean it hurt me, but um, it was a great night for me, and I've been working ever since. I I couldn't imagine being new to refereeing. Your first time in a big match would be the sheik of all people, because he's one of the scariest men I've ever seen on even on TV. Yeah. It, <laughs> Even though I had been in business for a little while and I knew it up and down, kind of, you know, it was green. I knew it was a work, but man, he was, uh, he was the sheep. He was scared me to death. He did. I was, I was scared of him. Uh -huh. And I was scared, but I knew it was a work, but uh, it, it, it worked out okay. How cool is it, it for your first okay. match to be with the sheep and then to come full circle and work with his nephew years later? I mean, that's... And that's one of the reasons why him and I got along. I told him <laughs> a story I just told you for 10 minutes. Um, and uh, he fell in love with me. Me and Sebu hit it off that night. and been friends ever since. I, in fact, I tried to call him today. He didn't pick up, but I'll call him later. <laughs> uh, and we're, do, we're doing a, a little tour in November 
2021st. I've got some info I'll give you later. Oh, yeah, we'll uh, get to it. Uh... And, um, and, and we were just a natural. It, it was perfect for him. And he, he liked me because of the chic story and already had admiration for me. Uh, so it, it was worked well together. Yeah, then you'll know about me and Narges. We're both big ECW fans from way back. So oh, I saw so my that's <laughs> the best relevant guys because of ECW. Now, if if Paul Heyman, now this is another story. I'll tell you that story later. If Paul Heyman didn't call me to come in and be anti ECW, just fresh out of WWF referee, because Vince wants the doctor, the doctor's wife, and the two kids at ringside. ECW wants. Uh, um, 89% male, 19 to 32 years old. You know what I mean? Yeah. Tough, tough, hardcore. Blood. So it was a perfect match for me to come in there and be anti-violent um, uh, as a conservative referee from WWF. And the people hated it. And it turned out to be, you know, they put me with Taz and Van Damme and Sabu and the rest is history. But if it wasn't for ECW, which I adore, the fans and the guys I work with, I wouldn't be talking to you guys now because even though I was in the business as a referee and refereed for all the major companies and famous matches and different places and was well-respected by my peers, I was just a referee. I wasn't a name. So the managing thing in ECW gave me uh, airtime and a character and developed into something good. And that's why I'm so relevant today because of ECW, not because I was a great referee and love don't get me wrong referees are very important you know but um they don't have the fame i didn't have a name oh bill alfonso it's cause it right you know what i mean yeah uh, but so, the ecw sure was man i'm glad you guys are fans thank you so much oh, man. absolutely man so uh we do a thing on the show called top 10 tuesday every every episode where we run down a like a specific list of things and today we had done Top ten like hardcore style matches, you know, kind of in honor of you know your ECW run. One of them that we talked about was uh, the uh, the Taipei Death Match, the Ian and Axel, which was I think you said was your first appearance in ECW. Well, um, Paul Heyman called me in for four weeks. He said, "Fonzie, I got a four week program. We only work two times a week anyway, Friday and Saturday." Um, you come in, and at the end of the four weeks, you're going to get choke slammed by 911, and then you're finished. So <laughs> I remember that. I'll too. pay you good, pay your time, put you in a hotel. God bless you. Thanks, Fonzie. Uh, but it got old. The gimmick got over. You know, I got heat. And Paul was such a brilliant mind. He noticed it right away and said, Hey, let me take advantage of it. So, one of the matches that I refereed, I refereed several, four or five different matches. It was always controversy. I wanted him to be. Uh, natural, no hardcore, no chairs, no blood, no nothing. Yeah. Uh, family entertainment. The people wanted tables and chairs and bears and sex and violence. I was against that. Not really, but right. you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, so one of the matches was a they've been building up for months. It was against the two brothers, you and Actron, in the Taipei death match where they dipped their hands in. Glue, they tape them up, dip them in glue, dip them in glass, have a match. So the first um, punch, um, Ian got a little bit of juice over his eye, like a little box. Could, I mean, like two drops. It was ridiculous. I stopped the match due to lack of vision in his eye. I stopped the match. People wanted to fucking hang 
you know, because I killed their joy, but you right. know what I mean? Uh, so that the Taipei Deathmatch was pretty cool. Once they got going, those guys are freaking nuts. Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, watching, even watching Ian after he started IWA and he would still do all the death matches, obviously. And he would yes. do some of the crazy shit you can imagine just on the independence, you know, doing, like I remember a flaming barbed wire match he had with a guy named Freak Show back in like 2007. And Yeah, they do a lot of stuff like that. There's this company in Orlando, there's different companies all over that's uh, really doing crazy stuff now. I mean, ECW was controlled, violence, controlled, you know what I mean? It was the yeah. tables and flames and barbed wire, but they made it special, you know. But I, yeah. I do these independent shows, and every one of them got hardcore guys where they want to do tables and chairs. It doesn't make no sense sometimes, but people enjoy it. They get the little pop, but um, it was different. I guess we, ECW was the beginning of the hardcore. You know who liked this was Vince McMahon's son, Shane. Yeah. That's why we... That's why we did some stuff with WWF back in the day. You know, we we were a small company. We had no corporate sponsor. Remember, ECW had no corporate sponsors. Right. It was like back then there was, you know, an indie, but um, we're bigger. And say we're these figures are right. Say we're making fifteen million dollars a year, but we were spending seventeen. No corporate sponsors. You know, expenses, planes, and rings, and um, venues, all that. So, you know, we were barely keeping afloat sometimes. So, but somehow Vince and Paul and got together and Vince liked us because Shane liked us and he floated us a million dollars at one time, you know what I mean, to keep going. Yeah. And so it was pretty interesting, you know, but there's so much crazy stuff now that, like you said, with Ian, he does all those indie shows and does stuff like that. There's guys that out there like, Matthew Justice, who I manage, I met AIW. Oh yeah, in Cleveland. what a group! John Thorne's a great promoter. I still work for them. I got to uh, see Matthew ya. Justice. Him growing up, his idols were Van Dam and Sabu. Just my luck, and they put us together with Naturals together, and he is really out there. He does some really outstanding, uh, death-defying things that you know sometimes he takes it too far, but he's Matthew Justice, and that's right. what he does. I got to see you do that live, Fonzie, in Indianapolis uh, for GCW's Collective uh, about a year ago. My son and I, we got to meet you, and you were managing Matthew Justice against Joshua Bishop that night. And oh, Josh. Yeah, Josh is badass. He's my, one of their big stars. I'm, I'm there uh, this month. That, that's an incredible – we're huge GCW fans, but AIW's fantastic. My son was nine, and he had never seen anything like it. You were incredibly nice to him. I'm not trying to kill your gimmick, but – uh <laughs> that's why i'm still around hey brother that's why i'm still around because i'm good-hearted to the people why you know what i mean the, the same guy at ecw arena who spit on me bought me a drink at the marriott after the show nice. you well know, and i am um, i'm boys with mike bucci i know you know who that that is and he he wanted me to tell oh, you yeah. he, he he loves you fonzie he said you were always awesome to him uh, Mike and I worked for the same bank for many years. So, okay. Hey, you know what? The good guys last. The if you're a dick in this business, you don't last. That's it. Yep. <laughs> that, that's true in any any business. But you know what I mean. People's been good to me. I, I'm just a naturally kind of cool guy. But um, I like my people. 
Right on. Uh, I'm going to jump around a little bit, Fonzie, if that's all right. Can I go here and there? Thank you for having me on. I got great great stories. I'm I'm so glad. Um, I sent you some whistles. Did did, did you get them? Uh, I think they are still en route, but uh, I think they're supposed to be in my place by like Friday. But we do have one for giveaway tonight. We got one for the giveaway tonight. I I sent you one for this show. Yeah, we got that one. So we're going to be doing something like that here before too long. Okay, great. great. I, I do have My some uh, questions <laughs> coming in from people, too. Oh, looks like we got some uh, audience questions, Fonzie, if you don't okay. mind answering a couple. All right. Yeah, Floyd, Floyd Fisher's listening in, and he asks, during the infamous Brody-Luger cage match, when did Fonzie oh, realize my. Brody was not going to cooperate, and what can you do as a ref when that happens? I'm so glad he asked this. Well, I played in my ear. That's not a common thing in pro wrestling that two guys don't get along in the ring. You know what I mean? It's generally, they have a great match. You know, bam, 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 back and forth and no problem. But once in a while, something happens. But so what would happen in that match? And, uh, and I was lucky to be on it. And we wouldn't be talking about it today if it wasn't for, for what happened. Because uh, Lex Luger was new in the business. They were grooming him. I was in the dressing room um, at 106 North Albany where we taped TV when they gave him his name, Dusty, Mike Graham. They all, it was his TV debut. And they said something, uh, you know, like uh, something strong. Man, it was something like a gun or a 45 or a Luger. And Dusty said, Luger, next Luger, whatever, you know, so that, so, and they were handpicking his opponents because he was—he was an athlete. He looked great, had a great body, had a great work ethic, a good-looking kid. Wanted to succeed, but he wasn't a natural in the ring. He had to work hard. So, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Barry Windham was a natural; he could do everything. And, and Luger was good, but he was just not a natural, so he had to work hard. So they were handpicking his opponents. They wanted to get him over. They wanted him to be the next big star. You know. Or, but all this time in them, they trained him here in Matsuda and all that trained him in Florida, at the Florida office. And they wanted him to su- succeed. Uh, so had picking his opponents and he was used to going over. So finally we were in Miami Beach. I mean, uh, um, uh, Fort Lauderdale. Um, and they booked it as, uh, Dan Brody who is temperamental, is a big star, been in Japan his whole career, been around the world, worked for Vince. Uh, you know, he's Bruce Brody. And he was a specialty thing. Like uh, a couple of times a year, Andre would come into our territory, like Fabulous Mula or the Midgets or Mil Mascara. So somebody famous like that, Nick Hockwink, or somebody come in for the week, you know, and go out. So Brody was just in for a couple of shots. He was the basically in Puerto Rico and um, so they, there was no booker there. I was in charge that night as, as a referee should be. Dusty was a booker but he was booked out in Houston or wherever he was that night. He was the world champion or whatever and so they just sent me with the finishes and stuff and and um, so they end up locking up and all that and, and uh, Brody said who the this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking like Brody. I'm, I'm Brody. Who the hell does this young kid think he is? He's beautiful. But listen to me, kid. You know, let me do my thing. And 
but Luger would not listen. He wasn't used to it, bro. He's temperamental. He's kind of mean. He's a tough guy. And, and man, it just got carried away. The more Luger, the more time goes by, Luger was panicking. Luger was panicking. So, Fonzie, Fonzie, what do I do? You know, I said, well, grab me if you watch the match. And shortly after, I said, grab me, throw me against the cage real stiff, and I'll disqualify you, you know, so you're out of the thing if that's what you want to do. So that's what he did. And then, you know, climbed over the fucking fence and split. But he was, um, and no heat from it. Nobody got fired. Nobody got nothing. But it wasn't cool. And it wasn't Luger's fault either. And it wasn't Brody's fault. So it just happened. Right. You know what I mean? It just happened. And it, it wasn't, they shouldn't have booked that match. It was a bad booking. Whoever booked it. So you mentioned before you were actually the assistant booker in Florida for a while under, you said Bob Roop, right? Correct. Correct. I went through a lot of bookers there. When I first started in May 1980, Dusty was a booker. Dory Funk was a booker. Uh, so I went through so many. Michael Hayes was a booker there for a while. Uh, Dutch Mantel, Bob Roop, uh, Dusty several times. Uh, and a few more that I'm forgetting, but um, but they would all come to me since I was trained. I was lucky enough to be schooled by Eddie Graham and Dusty with all these complicated finishes every week. Because remember, territories, every week I was in West Palm on Monday. Every week, Tampa Tuesday, Wednesday, Miami. Thursday was Jacksonville. Friday and Saturday were spot shows. Could be the Bayfront Center. Could be Lakeland Civic Center. Uh and Friday and Saturday was five shows and then Sunday Orlando. But it repeated itself week after week after week. I mean, every Monday I'm in West Palm Beach. Uh, we, uh, um, I was part of a record that um, they ran and sold out Miami Beach Convention Center like 66 weeks in a row. Wow. It was crazy. How the hell do they do that? 3,585 people every Wednesday night crammed in the Miami Beach Convention Center. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's crazy to be a part of that. So, but, and, but we were all on the A game and it was entertainment like hell, but people loved it. Where there was no football, there was no basketball, there was no internet or no TV. So people really enjoyed the, the sport, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, we were only taking in town, so I knew my game. So yeah, I was a, a system booker. And anyway, when when after Dusty left, and I went through so many bookers like Dory Funk and Dutch Mantel and Michael Hayes and this guy and that guy, but they all used to ask me for advice because I knew I learned from Eddie Graham and I was school with Jack Fresco, Bobo Brazil, all these great guys, man. So I knew my craft. I like. Uh, by the age of 26 years old, I was already a renowned referee. They loved me for some reason. I was small, made the guys look big. I could do my job. I wasn't scared to get bumped around. I never missed a show. I knew my finishes. I knew how to get people in and out, help young guys. Uh, uh, and that's why Bob Roop asked me to be his assistant. So I held that for a while. And they used to ask me for finishes all the time. In fact, I got mad at Dory Funk one time. This is not a this is not a cool service of a story. So, you know, I just told you West Palm Monday, Tampa Tuesday. We were doing, you know, 1,600, 1,800 miles a week. 
every week. That's a lot of traveling. So we were at a spot show like on a Friday night at a high school. It was north of Jacksonville in some high school. And Jacksonville's 200. So it was about 270 miles from home. And usually they send five matches. It's a high school. Uh, they send Barry Windham on top, whatever. So Dory Funk says, hmm, I can't think of a finish. You know, so I'm just going to go 60-minute Broadway, you know, to time limit. I said, Dory, are you fucking crazy? We were just in Miami Beach last night. We did TV yesterday. We got almost 300 miles to drive back. You want to go 60-minute Broadway? Just put the fucking kid over. You know what I mean? I got an argument with him. It's stupid to give these people 60 minutes. Just give them a fun fucking entertainment night and let's go, man. And that's what he ended up doing. It wasn't no argument. It was just a sensible thing to say. In the yeah. uh, so it was pretty cool. And Dory loves me. Dory fucking loves me. His wife doesn't for some reason, but <laughs> Dory does. It's actually kind of funny. I was doing research a couple weeks ago getting ready for this and one of the the uh, sites I went to actually tried to say that Bob Roop was your stepbrother. No, that's been in a couple of different articles. I've seen that. No, no relation uh, to uh, Bob Roop at all, other than a dear friend and right. badass. You know what I mean? Um, no relation. They got me as Dave, as Billy Sierra. My last name's Alfonso on the shoot. Um, <laughs> But I know, I know there was a rumor you were related to Mike Awesome, too, because his last name is also Alfonso. Yeah, I, I met Mike in Japan. We're doing, I was doing, I've been to Japan 13 times. Tokyo is one of my favorite cities. We'll talk about the Flair Food Tsunami match if you want to later. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I was in Japan. It, it was over there for referee. You know, whatever the fuck I was doing there. I was in my home hotel room, and my phone rings. So who the hell's following me? Probably the, you know, one. So it was Mike Awesome working for another company. He said, hey, my name's Mike, Mike Alfonso, just like you. I heard you were in town. Man, we're both from Tampa. We're no relation at all. We ended up being pals and buddies all the way to the end. God bless him, you know. Yeah. And he was one of my favorites. Just oh, incredible man. athlete. A beast. What a beast. And what a gentle guy. What a nice guy, too. Oh, my God. Good guy. Fun. Like to party a little bit and all that. But just... Something happened, man. And what you know who had the greatest, some of the greatest matches, him and Tanaka. Oh, and, absolutely. And, yeah. And he's, man, they were just great. For my really money, good. that's that they were right up there with like Dreamer and Raven as far as my favorite rivalries in ECW. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Dreamer and Raven. Um, boy, there were some big stars. Hey, when I first got to ECW, you know, Paul Heyman called me. I was fresh out of WWF. WWF cut me because I was one of the last referees they hired. I did. I came in right before, right after WrestleMania two, right, and then re, I did WrestleMania three, and I left before four. So you did Paul WrestleMania three. Excuse me. You did WrestleMania three. Yeah, at Caesar's Palace. No, no. Uh, it was a nine or the one at Caesar's Palace. Oh, that was nine. Yeah, nine. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I was so gonna say I've never seen right. you know, three. I came in right after eight. I did WrestleMania night, and then I left before ten. Be honest, was it Giant Gonzalez the last straw? <laughs> did, did, oh, very cool. Did you guys know that I was Giant Gonzalez's personal assistant for three years? Is worldwide that right? For WCW and 
uh, WWF, and we became really good friends. Oh, and wow. I was his personal assistant for three years. I got some really cool stories about him. I've I've heard some interesting stories about uh, El Gigante, Giant Gonzalez, from like in Jim Ross's books and on various podcasts. But he always seemed like a really cool guy. Very nice, and he didn't. And um, the women loved him. You know, he didn't have he had the Giants disease like Andre, where you know Andre's his gland. Uh, uh, his, Andre's or his forehead started protruding, and you know his jaw got bigger and his bones yeah. got bigger. But, uh, but the giant Gonzalez had the same thing. He used to tell me all the time, Fonzie, you know I'm going to die young, just like Andre." I said, uh, "You know, I'm sorry, but what do you tell a guy like that?" Oh, but man. he didn't have the he didn't have the, the he's hardly at his. He wasn't protruding. He just looked like a big, good-looking Spanish kid, oh, and the was- women. I'm not talking about women that go to wrestling like the rats. And right. the rats. I'm talking about we go to the mall and fucking blonde, fucking beautiful girls, housewives would be following us around. They just love to be beautiful and uh, one of nature's beautiful, I don't mean to use the word freak, but one of nature's beautiful things, you know, is a freak of nature. Yeah. Was was he legit eight feet tall or was that kind of a... No, it was a work. He was seven, eight. Okay. Seven eight. Yeah, because he was uh, he was the biggest guy I'd ever seen in wrestling when he showed up. And uh, well, I saw him first in WWF. I didn't see his stuff in WCW till later. But when he showed up and started going with the Undertaker, that's when I first saw him. Yeah, he wrestled. He wrestled uh, uh, the Undertaker in, in nine at Jesus Palace. Yeah, I remember you took a uh, choke slam from. Uh, the giant yeah yeah but uh the week before the week before you know vince uh has a show somewhere at like a high school or something with upstate new york basically some of the matches that are going to be in wrestlemania so they had undertaker and uh giant gonzalez kind of do a match before they did the big match at wrestlemania mm-hmm. so they had their timing right work with each other and the finish was but he grabs referee me and gives me the big choke slam. So when he got me up for the finish, for the, he grabbed me and I was up there like 20 feet and seemed, you know, because he was that tall plus his arms another four foot long. I was way up there. Instead of letting me float down, kind of semi-easy, he brushed me down and totally knocked me out. Concussion, <laughs> had to be rushed to the hospital the whole nine yards. Uh, and he felt terrible. It's my, you know, I'm taking care of the giant. We, you know, we traveled together uh, for three years, and he felt terrible. To, but he did at WrestleMania and didn't kill me that time. Hmm. Uh, Marco, you got the. Yeah, we have uh, one of our listeners is calling in. He'd like to speak to you personally and ask you a question. Are you good with that, Fonzie? Yeah, absolutely, Daddy. Thanks for the call in, Daddy. Hey, Jonathan. Uh, we're getting you on the air. Jonathan, can you hear me okay? You're on mute right now, it looks like. we got to get your voice. Let's get your voice in there. There he is. Jonathan, can you hear me okay? Hey, what's up, man? Yeah, I can hey, hear you. All right, you're on with Fonzie. Go ahead and ask the question. First of all, John, where are you from? Uh, I'm from right around where these guys are from, uh, near Champaign, Illinois, St. Joseph, okay. Illinois, to be to be exact. Yep, yep. I love Chicago. 
Yeah, that's <laughs> it's it. We're, we're we're a couple hours south of Chicago, but yeah, Chicago's <laughs> a hot, hot, hot I got friends. I got friends, uh, P.L. Myers and several other wrestling buddies that live in that uh, Champaign and uh, you know the surrounding areas of Chicago. Nice. Well, I was wondering if you could relive one year, you know, in your wrestling career, you know, maybe a, a couple year span. What what time frame would you go back and and relive? I know that's not something that's possible, but um, right. It, it, that's a good question. Um, it either have to be what uh, um, one year I was so on fire with Van Dam and Sabu, the, the, the two year wrestling and the TV title and all that being on top. That one year we just did nothing but sell out small buildings and pay per views and stuff. And then I also did that year with Vince. Uh, um, 93 WrestleMania 9 and I would go back to that year because I made a nice six figure uh, <laughs> and and loved it and was very good at my craft and got to dress up and travel around the world and uh, that was very cool and worked with all you know the great Hogan of course and Savage and all those guys and Vince McMahon and, and you know everybody uh, um, so those two, I got two, you know, that year with uh, Van Dam and Tabu and the uh, 93 and WWF. That's awesome. Uh, one other question I'm kind of a, a collectible guy myself, I, I collect a lot of things. Have you collected things over the years from, from wrestling? Are you into that at all, or mementos yeah, from any I, special I, moments? I, I, yeah, I wish I would have uh, done more things and kept more things i've given a lot of stuff away to the fans and uh uh organizations that you know fundraisers and stuff but you know i like uh, uh the nwa world title belt i had that bought that one for my grandson and the one that's got the globe on it and, you know the the one the player had before the new one uh I, yeah i got some cool stuff i got a oh i got you know thousands of pictures and magazines and covers that i'm on and stuff that's pretty flattering to have all that stuff and the pictures uh mean more to me than anything i got tons of pictures of classic pictures from day one to present all the memories awesome thanks a lot for the question jonathan thanks yeah. for listening yeah, right, thanks for having me guys yeah thanks john thanks daddy so you mentioned working with savage and hogan did you know hogan from tampa like before he blew up well actually i didn't know him we weren't friends. We didn't go out and have a soda or a beer together. But around the same time that I used to go, remember I told you that my dad got me the tickets from Frank Klein, the sports editor on the Compton. I used to get yeah. my own tickets. And we weren't, we never sat down. We would stand against the wall in the back. We could see perfect, you know, where, where we were. And down the line, there was Hulk Hogan standing against the same wall. Oh, wow. Before he broke into business. And actually, he broke into business in Florida. Hero Matsuda uh, trained him and stretched him and hurt his leg real bad. And, I remember uh, hearing that. Broke his ankle or something on his first day. Yeah. And uh, Jack Briscoe gave him his first pair of wrestling boots, who I adore. I love Jack Briscoe. He's one of yeah. my favorite world champions, one of my favorite wrestlers. Oh, he was a great time. one, yeah. All right, Mark, yeah. uh, do you happen to have a trivia question that Bill will tell us if the person answered correctly? 
If you've got the question, everybody right. listening, so, listen to the question. The first person to answer it correctly is going to win this autographed whistle from Bill, and Bill is going to let us know. I will read him the answers, and when he hears the one that's right, that person wins. So this is going to fall under our brown M&M that we do every episode. Earlier on, we talked about Fonzie's first big match in Texas and in Lubbock was a match between Terry Funk and the original Sheik. So the question is, what was this? Daddy. I'm sorry? 1978. 78. So the question is, what was the stipulation of the match? The first person to answer in the in the feed will win an autographed, authentic Bill Alfonso whistle. I'll give you a hint. It was not a cage match. All right. All right. So, not a cage match. 78, Bill Alfonso. Funk and the Sheik. Funk and the Sheik. What's your answer, folks? What yep. was the stipulation? Yep. So, while... While we're waiting for somebody to answer. Oh, hang on. We got one. Uh, Floyd, Floyd Fisher has answered Texas Deathmatch. Well, that is wrong. Oh. That is wrong. Dwayne Carter come in with chain match. Ah, Dwayne is the winner of. All my right, Dwayne. Dwayne. Congratulations. Awesome. Nice job, Kyle Dwayne. was right in behind him, but Dwayne did answer first. Dwayne, ah. we got a whistle for you, brother. You know we can find you. Oh, yeah. yeah. We know where you live. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Dwayne, for participating. And I'm going to send you guys some more whistles. Everybody seems to like them. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I did not like the whistle. Paul Heyman gave me this whistle, uh, not to change the subject, but Paul Heyman, you know, turned, put me with Taz because um, I was so over as, I mean, I got so much heat as being the anti-ECW referee. And Taz got hurt and... So they put us together. So to my first night, Paul Heyman gave me a whistle. So he said, Fonzie, this is your new gimmick. You're hyper. You just be Fonzie and turn it up a little bit. So what you see is naturally me out there. But, you know, I'm a hyper anyway. So he gave me this whistle to blow. And I was, I get embarrassed to blow it. I didn't want to blow a whistle. What the fuck? Give me a whistle for it. Uh, so the next week, I didn't bring it with me. He said, Fonzie, where's your gimmick? Where's your whistle? That's your fucking trademark. I, and then I got it. Then I that from that day I got it. And I blow my whistle and I'm known. If you didn't know my name, you say, "Oh, that's the guy with that name blows a whistle." You know what I mean? But yeah, uh, I remember watching that. Yeah, yeah, it works out to the merchandise, and everybody seems to like it. So a friend of mine, Dustin Danger, who's actually our, he's actually sponsoring the episode today. He was actually going to join us in studio, but something came up; he could not make it. But he sent me a question for you oh, pertaining to the whistle. He says, I'm genuinely okay. curious, uh, would he, you typically use the same whistle if that's not already known? So, like, would you always have the same one or would you, like, switch them out here and there? I've had the same whistle probably unless I lose it to a fan or some, you know, that gets ruined or something happens to it. I generally keep my the same whistle. I buy a top of the line coaches five star, you know, thirty forty dollar whistle, the best one you can buy. Yeah, and I've had the same one now for about the last five years. Oh wow! So uh, the the box and the packagings are gimmick whistles, of course. But yeah. you know, it's a, it's. A, but I would use one of those if I had to. Believe me. Yeah. So uh, Dustin had a follow up. He says he's a, he's a musician. We both play music, so. This question, this question kind of goes more into like your routine, like going into a show. He says, uh, 
like theoretically, if you can practice, rehearse, go through it in your mind all you want, but when you pick up that guitar finally for showtime, there's a feeling. Did you feel that with your whistle, or was there another moment in your routine where you fell into character like during a show? You know, no matter if I go to, I talk about Madison Square, no matter if I go um, get ready to go to the current Madison Square or get on a, a podcast or do one of these indie shows or perform or go to a convention and sign for three hours or I'm going to a couple of stores next week to toy stores and do some stuff. Um, I get butterflies still. And it seems that when I walk through those curtains blow my whistle, it sets everything, makes me calm, and I'm as cool as a cucumber out there at all times. But nice. the, So the whistle does help. The whistle does help. Once I hear the music start, Van Damme's music, I still use Van Damme's music when I do intros today. Oh, yeah? Um, oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Um, and I get a good response, and people love the whistle, and I blow it to a certain extent going out, but then I, I rarely blow it too much uh, ringside. Yeah. But I, I do. All right, another one of our listeners has another question. These guys are eating it up. I love it. Kyle Reed, who would be our runner-up in the uh, contest because he answered literally seconds after Dwayne and answered correctly. No. Uh, his question is, what is your most memorable match where you were the referee? Oh, my God, that is a, a great question, but there's too many answers. You know what I mean? Uh, to see Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk referee one of their matches, uh, or Dusty in the Cowbell match, Burrow match, or uh, so many. You know, the Flair Fujinami match in front of 65,000 in Japan and Tokyo, Tokyo Dome. Um, uh, some of the girls' matches, Fabulous Mula back in the day. There's so many matches that were so cool to referee and be a part of it. Um, it's hard to pinpoint one. Um, but uh, one that I particularly like is Barry Windham and Harley Race. Oh, wow. We were, it was, listen to this story. It's a pretty cool story. You guys ready? Sure. Right on. All right. We were, you know, I said we would do TV on Wednesday and then drive to Miami every Wednesday to do the show at the Miami Beach Convention Center every mm -hmm. Wednesday. If we were in Miami Beach, we were in Fort Lauderdale, but most of the yeah, Miami Beach. So uh, it was a sold out show and Harley Race and was wrestling Barry Windham for the title and um, Barry was like our number one baby face besides Dusty, you know what I mean? And deserved the shot and all that. So on the way down, we'd go through, Ever, through the Everglades Alligator Alley. I think it was Steve Kern, me, Barry Windham, Mike Rotundo, four of us in the car. We all got gimmicks. We're all making small money. You know, in this territory, you make seven or $800 a week. That's what I was making back then as a referee. The 80s, that's good money. But we were buying gimmicks. We were buying fuzz busters and again, guns and cowboy boots and all kind of shit. So we all had guns. So we stopped in the Everglades, me, Barry, Steve Kern, Michael, and uh, I'm standing next to Kern. And Kern yells, hey, I'm going to shoot that Sign. I said, fuck, anybody can hit that sign. It's fucking huge. You know, I'm going to hit the pole on the sign. You know, it's a skinny pole, you know, what I'm holding the sign up. So he aims, shoots the gun, 
the bullet ricochets and hits Barry in the leg. Down goes Ouch. Barry. Oh, no. Now, the phone <laughs> rings. Soon, soon as Barry gets shot, the phone rings. Now, we got a phone the size of a shoebox with the battery and then, a, you know, a regular You're talking about those giant bag box. phones we used to have in the cars? Yeah, huge, huge. Like this, the phone rings. It's, a, it's dusty. He said, hey, where are you guys at? I said, oh, Barry just got shot. Barry just got shot. Now he's wrestling Harley Race at a sold-out Miami Beach Convention Center. And Dusty says, how bad is it? I said, well, we can see the bullet. It ricocheted off the pole and hit him in the leg. And we can see a little bit of the bullet in the big hole. He says, well, dig it out, tape him up, and get his ass here. And he wrestled Harley Race 60 minutes that night. With a bullet in his leg? Oh, no, they, they pulled the bullet out. Oh, they pulled the bullet out, but just a bullet wound. Right. Well, you know. Yeah, then we took him to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> That's a ballsy. So, pretty good story. So, man, I can't imagine some of the stories from the road like that, especially even down in Florida. But stories are, you know, worth the book that I'm going to write one day. You know, I've been approached several times to write a book book but not by the right guy ah. i need a ghostwriter. i i tell stories and he puts it in the book you know nice. what i mean well if you ever if you ever get to the point where a book is uh forthcoming you make sure you let us know so we can help uh let the world know oh hell yeah well thank you so much thank you so much i'm gonna write it before i'm dead hopefully <laughs> so fancy i got a question for you uh i don't know how much you watch of the new product these days like AEW, wwe whatever i watch a little bit of it I watch a little bit of it. I'm not glued to the TV on Mondays or when or any other day. Okay. But if I happen to channel surf and see a match on and see what it's about, um, um, I think AEW out of Jacksonville. I think Cody is doing a great job there. Yeah. Uh, what I've seen and what I've heard, you know, he's getting they're they're and starting to do well and they got great talent, do some different stuff. I yeah. see his dad in his mind sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Dad was well, great ahead uh, of his time. Just yeah. ahead of his time, uh, and some of Vince's stuff is so uh, watered down to family entertainment. Yeah, um, but I'm not going to put it down because they're still doing good and they're providing a lot of jobs. Sure, you know yeah. what? There's like there's like six thousand of us, mm-hmm. including you guys, that can be uh, you know in small the wrestlers. But this, the problem is, there's only about. 70 jobs in each company. You know what I mean? So to make a living. So that's what I always tell the indie guys, man, you guys are 20 years too late because back in the territory, you can go from territory to territory and work seven days a week and just build your body, live, work, wrestling, travel and work out. It's fucking great life. And uh, some of them don't get it, you know, and, yeah. and the only chance to make a living out of it is, you know, go to Vince or get a contract with AEW. And it's unlikely because so many guys competing. Narch yeah. here is a huge, I mean, over-the-top AEW fan. He's been right. uh, cheering them on yeah. this entire time. Yeah, absolutely. I wish him a good luck. Yeah. I wish him good luck. I, in fact, I wish I could, you know, get a deal with him. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, what's cool, Fonzie, is uh, Tony Khan, who owns AEW and runs it, is from here locally, where we're from, Champaign, Illinois. Oh, really? So yep. that that's a lot of why we, you know, I his father, him. Uh, his father owns the Jacksonville Jaguars, also. His yeah. father owns everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He has Flexing Gate here in Champaign Urbana. Yeah. So, Fonzie, the thing yeah. I was wondering is, when you watch wrestling. Do you watch the referees with like an analytical eye to it since with all your experience? 
I always check out the referees. Of course I do. It's like, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's a natural instinct. Even if yeah. I do it on purpose. Yeah. Cause I'm not, sometimes I do analyze it. I yeah. see a lot of young referees when I go out on the road, like this Saturday, I'm in, uh, Hialeah, Florida, which is right next to Miami or uh, for CCW, you can go on their website and see all this stuff. Uh, they have a show every Saturday at this unbrand brewing company, which is a big brewing company. They set up a ring in the back, and it's all really cool. They have a restaurant, a barbecue place. It's all, and we draw 500 to 1,000 people every time. It's pretty cool. Road and they trip. got a referee who just had a nose broke the other day. And wow. Never complained. Yeah. Everybody's, it, it's a team effort. You know what yeah. I mean? It, they're so hungry. All these young people, I just give them encouragement. Yeah. All the referees. Yeah, of course I watch the referees. Yeah. I hear a lot of guys, I, uh, most notably uh, Bully Ray, you know, Bubba Ray on Busted Open. He's usually pretty critical of the officiating on some of these TV programs. Just some of, he feels some of the referees don't like pay attention to the rules as much as they should in some cases. Do you ever like, find that when you're watching something like on AEW and some of these matches like the uh, no, but, uh, like, uh, no but um when I used to uh, full time ref for, from 1980 for 20 years all over the country or all the major companies um I was a say I get in a situation where the guys go out on the floor and you give them a 10 count to get back in the ring you know what I mean? And yeah. So you got to work around them. So you still give it a 10 count, but you, I, I would roll out. I would tell them, I would tell them, stay out there with them for a few seconds, throw back in, say, hey, you got, you know, give them a warning, then give them a 10 count. Then they have plenty of time to do their stuff. So right. I don't rush them and I give them plenty of time. So I work around any problems. So you got to do that sometimes. Yeah. But then it makes sense for the wrestlers to pay attention to the rules, especially back in the day you know, in the territories when it was wrestling was wrestling, you know, yeah. So the 10 count would mean something, you know what I mean? The first man up to his feet, uh, uh, wins a match or, you know, certain things like that. And so the rules would really mean something. Yeah. So I that's wanna... why they had a, hey, no Saturday night, no disqualification. Oh my God. That was a big thing. There was no tables and chairs and fire and Bob wire back then. You know what I mean? It was yeah. a no disqualification match. That was a fucking big thing. Right. Uh, Nard, you got something? I do. Afonzi, I just I had a quick question here. We've touched on quite a bit. Um, you've worked with maybe three of the biggest personalities in ECW history. Of the three, is there one that stood out more than a, than another, or did you enjoy your time with each of them equally? Um, it's kind of crazy to see where they've all went in their careers this this late. You know, later on, Rob Van Dam's out living his best life with his new wife, Katie. Uh, yeah, they're not married yet. Uh, oh, they're uh, not. Okay, on the eleventh, we get married November eleventh. But he's enjoying his will, life. Will I, you be at the wedding, Bill? I've been thinking about going. I was invited by Van Dam, and I'm not sure if I can make it. I'm trying to crunch it in there because I'm That'd booked be somewhere awesome. else. I saw yeah, some. I'm trying my best, but I just seen him. I just spent a, a day with him and Katie, and I see him a couple times a year at different events that they use me. Or we just were at the ECW arena at Feinstein's convention and had matches that night. I was with him and Katie. 
Yeah, I saw somebody describe Rob Van Dam the other day online as he's basically completed his whole life and now he's just living out the bonus chapters. He's basically li- he's doing everything that I think any, you know, uh, full-blooded male would love to do. <laughs> Katie and her friends are gorgeous ladies. So <laughs> Yeah, he's actually one of my favorite guys. He's done well. Um, he's made a little money and he's saved it and invested it and done well. And um, and uh, he still looks great and still badass. He's got those super legs, man. And what a great guy. I love Van Damme. So what I favorite. wanted to segue into, though, Bill, was so he was, you know, there was a little talk about him and Tommy a few weeks ago on uh, a show on TV called Dark Side of the Ring. I don't know if you've seen any of it. I've seen it. I've watched a lot of the episodes. What I wanted to ask you about was an episode about two weeks ago on XPW. Uh, they invaded the ECW Heat Wave 2000. I'm pretty sure you were there with Rob that in night, Cal- and he took on Scotty Anton, in, right? In California? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I don't remember too much about it, but all I remember was a bunch of guys, big guys that I didn't know and didn't know XPW or any of the companies out there whatever and then uh i we had all our big guys big dick dudley and a bunch of guys and i remember chasing them out of the arena somehow i was outside not me not chasing but a bunch <laughs> of guys and them running or something like that literally running down the street from uh, like a mob of people would seem like and that's yeah that's what i wanted to ask i know they introduced uh the late new jack on the show and he uh or they interviewed him not introduced him they interviewed the late new jack on the show and he had described quite a scene backstage afterwards with some of the ecw talent and some of the xpw uh i think ring crew so i was just kind of curious what your experience was i had asked nova and he said it was wild it wasn't a work it wasn't a work it was a shoot wow nice Okay. I remember when that happened on the paper. Just seeing all the ECW guys running to ringside from the back, just just a just a right. That's what I, I think. I was in the ring or it, something, and I just was. I think somebody grabbed Francine or something on the outside. As I remember it, yeah. So Fonzie, I got a couple more questions. Then we're going to get into our throwback segment. I told you about. But okay. I, I kind of want to go back to 1997. That's my favorite year in wrestling, and you guys were on a roll in ECW. And I texted you yesterday because I went down a rabbit hole on YouTube, and I watched the clip from Wrestlepalooza when Jerry Lawler showed up, when uh, Van Damme and Sabu were beating down Dreamer, and then Lawler came in and just mayhem with everybody was coming out. He grabbed the mic and was in the ring with the suit on with the mic or came came in and hit Tommy with the cane in the nuts. Uh, no, I'm talking about when uh, he showed up in the, just when the lights went out. Is after Dreamer beat Raven on uh, one of the pay-per-views. Yeah. And uh, it was just crazy because then Sandman comes out, the gangsters come out, Polly came out, and he was getting beat up by Sabu, I think. And then finally Taz came out and ran everybody off. But what was, I'm, I wanted to know about the atmosphere because, I don't think I ever heard the ECW arena get louder on a video that I had watched because okay, I've never been able to go there because, you know, it's and Philly. I, 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 and I was standing right next to Lawler. Lawler had access to the microphone and it was talking and all the mayhem was going on there. And uh, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. You know, that was total uh, uh, Vince and, and, we didn't know what was going on between Vince and Paul Heyman. You know right. what I mean? We were lucky to 
just to show up and work every every weekend and get paid great and have a great atmosphere. We didn't know the company was suffering so much or yeah. getting ready to vote or we didn't know if Vince was working with Paul. Paul was working with Vince. They had mutual. It had to be. Right. But uh, uh, it, it was a great night. You're right. That that night was freaking unbelievable. It was it, it was uh, pretty cool. Thanks we, for remembering that. Oh, man. yeah, absolutely. We talked on this show a few weeks ago about the lack of real heat anymore with the heels on TV. Like everybody seems almost, they're almost afraid to get a lot of heat, but then you go back and you watch something from ECW with Lawler or the Dudley boys and nobody gave a crap back then. They, they'd say whatever they wanted and just piss everybody off. And it was just marvelous. It was being at the right place at the right time. There was a time for that. There was a market for it. Who knew? Um, and it just worked. And they couldn't have picked a bunch of uh, better guys. There was a bunch of guys came through, and Paul Heyman had the uh, sense to keep, like, you know, new Jack Samet. So, oh, I was telling you when I first came in there, Paul Heyman called me and said, Fonzie, come into ECW. I said, What the fuck's an ECW? I just came <laughs> off of all the major companies. I've never worked an indie show in my life. Right. You know what I mean? I've been Rick Flair and Harley Race and all those guys my whole career. Vince Hogan. And he says, oh, is this, we got a small company, go to ECW, just come in. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll hear so you. He said, uh, just come in. And so I came in uh, my first night in. I walk in the dressing room. I got Louis Vuitton luggage. I got a Rolex on. I got a suit on. <laughs> I walk in the fucking dressing room, and there's a Sandman. There's Tommy Dreamer. I didn't know hardly anybody. Raven, I knew from Johnny Polo and all that. I know Raven a lot. I didn't know who the fuck are these guys. You know what I mean? They said the same thing about me. You know, can can Ponzi pull this off? You know what I mean? Don't worry. Everything's too bad. What I'm saying is Paul Heyman created his own stars. Look at Sandman. Yeah. Sabu, Van Damme. Uh, Tommy Dreamer, Raven, the Dudleys, the Dudley Boys, all oh, Little Guido, so many characters, yeah. the Eliminators, uh, uh, a bunch of guys, you know, the Jerry Lynn, my goodness, the Mike Awesome, what characters we had to go through there, man. Yeah. And they all were great, all became big stars. That was like a stepping stone for most of them. Yeah. But, uh, man, it was like you said, that's just ECW back then. For a teenager in high school, it was just gold for us young wrestling fans. But I get guys all the time coming up to me, younger guys, teenagers now, or, you know, in their early 20s, and say, oh, man, the ECW, oh, man. I said, really, what year were you born? Oh, 2007. <laughs> they might have right. been conceived after an ECW match. Or during. Well, <laughs> their, their parents introduced them to it, then they YouTubed everything, and yep. so they knew everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's pretty fucking flattering for I'm, somebody. To I'm sure like uh, that. I'm sure so, Narge has shown his nine-year-old some ECW not too long ago. Oh, yeah, he has, and uh, he's met uh, Tommy Dreamer, and we met Fonzie, and I, you know, I, I kind of uh, marked out for Fonzie when we'd met him in Indy two years back, so my son's got a photo with him, and oh, yeah, big ECW fans, that really is, uh, I miss that, and a lot of these independent companies these days, GCW, for instance, is kind of a throwback to ECW, I really feel like they have an eclectic group of characters they and storylines and violence and it's it's uh 
it's different, and that's what I think a lot of people want. They, I open a door for the old lady. I'm not trying to buy my way to heaven, but so can you imagine if I met you back then and, and you and your son, I told your son to fuck off and say, hey, go, go, back, go get the fuck back. Can you imagine if I said something like that to you? I, you know I, I, mean? I, I'm such a fan. I would have loved it. I love some of the, <laughs> the, the heel work on TV. I don't get offended, uh, Fonzie. So I actually, I like some of the cutting edge heel work. You probably could have told him that. And I, I oh. probably would have agreed. Oh, Kyler would have <laughs> you just said, Hey, Kyler, check it out. He just told you to fuck off. <laughs> yeah. That's probably what I would have said. So, <laughs> all right. So, uh, I'll uh, me... by the throat. I usually, they want to take a picture and I'll do a little promo with them now. You know, I say, yeah. put the video on. I say, hey, and then say, what's your name? Is Tyler? Hey, Tyler, he's a winner, just like me, Daddy. And they love that. Nice. Oh, yeah. It takes me thirty seconds to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, you guys are just cool, man. That's why I'm here today. Yeah, ECW right. ECW and you guys. Thanks. So, oh man, anytime. Uh, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you about one more thing, and uh, that's the match you had with Beulah back at as good as it gets in '97. Just oh, I beat her ass. You know, if I didn't bleed like I did, we would not be talking about that match. It would be no. just another, you know, boy versus Man, girl or you, whatever. You took some shots in that match. Just that cookie sheet. I I wince every time I see that when I watch it back now. From the just from the start of it, but uh, well, I didn't. Like, is tune up wrestlers. Nobody's ever seen me. I'm not a wrestler. I tell the guys all the time on these indie shows, I say, hey, if I get close to you, just fucking push me, shove me. I never get close to them. I said, it doesn't make no sense for you to hit me. I should be dead. Or for me to get close to you, you kill me. You know what I mean? So I treat it like a shoot out there. Right, right. So being two non-wrestlers and, and got into that, yeah. that was pretty cool. And somehow we pulled it off. You know, we were both nervous as fuck. Yeah. I won't lie. I was very fond of Beulah when I was a teenager. Oh, she was beautiful. <laughs> she was a knockout back then, man. This is one, one picture. She's like squatting, and she got like a dark bikini on or something. She had her hair. She's uh-huh. like I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, everybody's memory banks just went <laughs> right. Remember, I think I saw that saved somewhere. Like, Beulah's blowing up bank. on Google right now. It's in the bank. So, uh, Marco, she's a nice girl. Uh, oh, now, you know she's. Like twins, Tommy and her still married. Yeah. She's a big house. She's a housewife. I love her. God bless her. Yeah. Thanks, Bela, for putting me over that night. <laughs> I actually have put her over. Yeah, I think you both put each other over that night. That was, uh, everybody looked at both of you in a very different way after that match. But uh, You know, I had to get rushed to the hospital. Uh, so we go backstage. I'm bleeding only for about eight minutes, nine minutes, right? The yeah. match is seven minutes and ten seconds long or whatever. So, And I got a whack the first 30 seconds of the match, I got busted open. Mm-hmm. So I bled the whole time. When I get back to the dressing room, it's pretty cool. I get back to the dressing room, the paramedics are there to stay in the yard. Paramedics, real ones, they couldn't stop the bleeding. Oh, wow. I hit an artery or something was wrong in there. So they put a cold plate of steel on my head and wrapped it up with a white gauze. They sent me to the hospital, head trauma. So I overshadowed. Everybody else, it was people, it was a, you know, a Saturday night, there was a hundred people in there. They bypassed them all because of head trauma. Yeah. So, so a, a nurse comes in, a doctor, and she says, get them ready. So she starts undoing my band-aid. I said, well, I said, it's going to, don't do that. Cause she said, don't tell me what to do. I've been a nurse for 30 
few years. So she under the band-aids, as soon as that piece of cold steel fell off, juice saw squirted out all over her white uh-huh. fucking outfit, all over her face and shit, and she got pissed off. But anyway, <laughs> so, so they, her fixed, right. yeah, so they fixed me up, and they, they, they bring in the dog paddles, and you know, the... Yeah. Electric things and chalky. So they bring those. In. I said, "What are those for?" They said, "Just in case." I said, yep. "Okay." So I, so I was starting to faint or whatever, go under, and they held my legs up. But anyway, they picked me up and they wanted to admit me. Here's the cool part: they went to admit me, and I said, "No, I got a six a.m. flight out." They made me sign all kind of legal documents to sign myself out, An uh, yep. stay overnight under doctor's orders. So they said, "Okay, you can go," but Whatever you do, don't take any pills, don't drink, don't smoke anything, don't do nothing. So as soon as I, they wheeled me out in a wheelchair, and there's Sandman. He's got a 44-ounce uh, full of vodka and cranberry for me. He's smoking a joint. We smoke pot and taking pills, and, you know, I go party with him. Well, I mean, you, weren't, you didn't want to keep feeling the pain. Crazy, right? Right. Uh, I was like five. So, Dwayne... Our winner tonight had a question yeah. for you. It's, what advice would you give to someone who is trying to break into the business? Uh, give it time. And you know, no matter how good or bad you are, uh, it's being in the right place at the right time. Uh, it's fun. We work on a weekend. There's, uh, I work with a bunch of students at uh, CCW out of South Florida, Coastal Championship Wrestling. Is great. They got a school and they use a lot of students to put up the rings and they're training them. And some of the students are working. They put them in battle roles. They're having fun. They're making, they're paying their dues. Uh, just hang in there. Took a long time for me to start making money. Um, if you're in it for the money, uh, forget it. You're in the wrong but, biz. <laughs> right, All right. Because 5,000 of us and there's only 300 jobs that pay where you can make a living. But you never know. You could be the next rock, daddy. Yeah. Well, that won't be any of us, I promise. No. All right, so you're still doing personal appearances, so I was just wondering. Uh, most of our listeners currently are in the Midwest, Champaign, Illinois, within 120 miles, maybe Chicago, Indy, St. Louis. Will you be making any appearances in the next three to six months that we want to know about? Well, I wish I was out that way. Uh, I'm more in the Northeast, it seems. Like on the 20th, I'm in Philly. I mean, uh, I'm in uh, Pittsburgh erie and somewhere in ohio um and then i go to to toledo and then i do a lot of south florida stuff so nothing i was offered something out in texas not too long ago but i was already prior booked so i couldn't do that one um but i will definitely call you up if i get out that way anyway i would love that area that would be great in the winter i used to i used to catch climatitis all the time because Working for Vince at WCW, you're on the road seven to ten days, you're home three. Mm-hmm. On the road seven days to ten days, you're home three. It could be nine days, no more than ten, no less than seven. You leave your house, and then you're in the hotel seven days. But I used to come, I live in Florida, so I'd go to Canada for seven days and come back, you know, below zero. <laughs> Oh, and then come back to 85 degree weather. I'd go back and forth and it gets climatitis. The doctor mm-hmm. told me, I said, well, what the fuck's climatitis? He said, Fonzie, you're up there in the cold and back in the heat, up in the cold and back in the heat. But, uh, but damn, I would uh, love, if you guys hear any shows out there, mention, drop my name. 
Oh, absolutely. I'd love to. I know we got a couple of indie promotions around here that I'm sure we could probably drop your name to and maybe get you out this way. Yeah, I'd love to come out. Yeah, David Cavazos, if you're listening to this, uh, consider this a reference. Uh, Wait, he's got a, he's got a small company there. He's, he's company? got a, he's got a small company in the Champaign County area called Zero One USA. Nice and uh, like I know they got uh, they get some big names in here every now. And then. They got Billy Gunn not too long ago. They okay. got Sonny coming in in December. Do they they run once a month or how often do they run? Uh, I'm not sure. Do you? Yeah, I believe it's usually once a month. Uh, I know before COVID they were running pretty consistently, but. Uh, Oh, that's cool. If they're drawing 300 people, that's doing pretty good because um, some of these shows that I do, there's 350 people, and then usually they're right. good, better shows. You know, there's 500 plus or 1,000 people yeah. um, at uh, at these wrestling, at the, these little any wrestling shows that I do, um, which is pretty cool Fun. with no TV, just off the internet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, if uh, you ever get booked out in Champagne give uh, me a call. We will come and get you at the airport and we'll just yeah, hang oh, out yeah. with you. Oh, yeah, to dinner. I see that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and if you ever Tampa Bay, if you ever come to Disney or something, call me up prior and we'll make sure we have dinner or something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm all, I'm all week. Yeah. Hey, I'm retired. I'm 64, Daddy. <laughs> um, I But I work every weekend. I'm booked. Every, I probably worked um, 45 weekends last year. And I still, I'm still booked all the way this month. I'm booked. Uh, I think I got one weekend off uh, next month. I'm booked, and then hopefully 2022 keeps going, man. Yeah. So I love working on weekends. Just making appearances and you know managing. I haven't refereed in years, but I, I would on a special match or something sure. to bring me in a nostalgia thing. But yeah, Fonzie. So Tony Khan, he likes to use some of the uh, the legends, and I, you know, I consider you one of the legends. And you've got some friends down there in AEW, Taz being one of them. Um, hypothetically speaking, if they called but you up and said, "Hey, we want to bring you in," uh, would, would you come on board? Would you go full time with them if they offered something like that? Yeah, or? of course, of course, I would. I'd be silly not to. Of course, I, you know, the, uh, that'd make me even more relevant. After I left there, you know what I mean? If I got six months or a year run there, you know, making six figures would be great. It's not about the money. I just like to work. You know what I yeah. mean? So I make the, I make reasonable money on, on the road. Um, but it's not killer money, but it's fucking great. I have a good time, man. I yeah. fly out every weekend somewhere. This Saturday, I'm driving to Hialeah, Florida for uh, CCW. Um 200 and some miles round, you know, one way. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And I work for them all the time. They run three or four times a, a month in, in South Florida. Oh, wow. Pretty cool. So, uh, Fonzie, I told you on the phone, uh, we do a segment every uh, episode called The Throwback where we break down a, a classic match from, like, back right. in the day. And, yes, you did. And you suggested to me, like, I asked if you wanted to help us out with it this week, and you said, absolutely. And you suggested we talk about the match you mentioned earlier with uh, Ric Flair and Tatsumi Fujinami from the Super Show in Tokyo in 91. So, Well, I, I get, thought that would be a good uh, uh, thing to talk about. You guys break it down. I'll disagree with you and, and tell you my little bits and pieces I remember of it. Yeah. Um, that's a good match because um, it's a world-class 
um, incident. It's a world class meet. You know what I mean? It's um, and that was Tokyo so Dome, right? Cool to right, right. And it was the first joint show. It was WCW and Fujinami's group. Uh, first joint show sold out. Main event. You know, they held the belt up. Controversy. Mm -hmm. I was part of it. Yeah. Um, that's how I got my uh, gig in WCW because uh, um, I stayed with Florida Championship Wrestling, where, you know, and then WCW started. Dusty went up there, and there wasn't time for me to go up there yet. So, but they asked, they asked me to do the Fujinami uh, flare match, and I did. And Dusty was there with his whole crew. Yeah. And and uh, that night after the match, I did really good. And, I sold a Japanese flag. My dear old mom, who passed away, she would have been 90-something, she sold a Japanese flag and an American flag. I went out and bought a beautiful, nice white press designer shirt of fucking 25. Nice bow tie. I got my hair. I look beautiful. <laughs> nice shoes, pants. And then I had those flags on. And the Japanese office loved it. You know nice. what I mean? Yeah. U.S. versus Japan. So at the end of the night, uh, Dusty said, uh, Fonzie, baby, it's going to happen for you. That's all he said. He said, I'm going to have Jody, Jody Hamilton, who just passed away. Yeah. I'm going to have Jody call you. And that was, I said, thanks, Dusty. That was all. Then Jody called me like three days later. We got back to the U.S. And, and Dusty wants you to start full-time up here, referee. And nice. Ted Turner, you know, WCW. And I went up there. Yeah. Fucking of, great. So that match was a classic, man. Yeah. Flair was on fire. They sold the place out. Fujinami was a big number one guy. Yeah, he was um, right underneath Anoki as far as right, uh, draw there, right? right? Uh, Anoki and Fujinami are the two big names yeah. that I remember. Yeah, and you uh, refereed with one of my favorite referees, uh, Tiger Hitori from New Japan. Oh, uh, yeah. He was he, like on the outside on that match. Yeah, remember the the, the luggage of Boise, the Holland Burton uh, uh -huh. Bags, you yeah. know what I mean? Albert and Buzz suitcase. Mm -hmm. I bought, I just bought a brand new one. Uh, the gold ones, all the boys, the Rick Flair had one, all the boys had them. And and uh, Hattori couldn't get one in Tokyo, one in mine, real bad. I gave it to him. I loved him, <laughs> nice. badass. Yeah, he was a great referee. I, yes, I watched, yeah. he retired not too long ago in uh, New Japan, and they gave him the whole treatment. Man, I haven't seen him since that night. He used to come to Florida once in a while. Because here, Hiro Matsuda owned championship, a small piece it was Eddie Graham, Hiro Matsuda, Dupanaka owned Florida Championship Wrestling, the territory. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, Matsuda is Japanese. He would bring Japanese back and forth and send Americans back yeah. and forth to Japan for the company at the time. So I met uh, Atari uh, several times in my career and worked with him the last time, you know, with Janami Flair. Yeah. So Narge, uh, you watched the uh, the match earlier today. Uh, what uh, what were your takeaways from it? I thought it was. Uh, I mean, it's a good. It's an awesome match. It's you know thirty minutes of solid action. I like that Flair got color like he always does. Ric Flair is one of the best at uh, making sure to pull out that champion. emotion from the crowd. Yeah, he was great champion, and he was good that night. Yeah, keep going, brother. Yeah, no, it was it was a great match. Um, I'm definitely glad you suggested it. You know, we thought we'd take the easy way out and pick an ECW <laughs> match. So, appreciate you throwing us a, a little bit of a curveball. Yeah, and the thing with Fujinami, a lot of our listeners probably don't realize what a groundbreaker he was. I mean, 
he invented the dragon sleeper, which is one of the coolest submission holds ever. Uh, he would uh, do the dragon screw leg whip. He was the first one to do that. He had all these all this offense that nobody had done before him. And he's a big guy to be doing all that stuff. Yeah, he is big. He, he, he is big. I, I like the man. Uh, uh, wrestling in Japan's been a big, big fucking deal for, you know, way before us. Oh, yeah. Um, all those great guys, you know what I mean? And I was yeah. lucky enough. Tokyo is one of my favorite cities I've been to in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it was crazy yeah. that I got to go. Um and a lot of guys spend all their time over it. Like Mike Awesome, his whole career was in Japan. He yeah. came to Florida, with ECW and, and a little bit WCW, and that mm-hmm. was it. But uh, uh, I've heard a lot of great stories. Giant uh, Baba and all them guys. My goodness, yeah. I heard I I read Freddie Blassie's book back when about twenty years ago, and he would he talked about working with uh, Ricky Dozan, who was the father of Japanese wrestling. And I haven't seen a lot of his stuff, but from what I heard, he was the guy that trained Baba and Inoki. And then after he died, they both started All Japan and New Japan, and then it just went from there. But uh, what I want to ask you about is the finish on the match, which was you took the bump out of the ring, Flair goes over the top rope, and then just all hell breaks loose afterwards. So what do you remember about that? What what I remember, you know, you just got it pretty good. Um, they got it going, bam, bam, bam. They, you know, put their time in the math. This is great. I did a double knockout with Flair or something. Bam, out I go to the floor. I'm semi-conscious. I'm on, you know, my back kind of leaning up a little bit. And I see Fujinami dump Flair over the top. But, uh, you know, I'm still down. Down comes uh, Hattori. They're running from the back. They get back in the ring. They do their stuff. Uh, Fujinami does a move, pins Flair, one, two, three, I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah. Uh, and then I, I come up, but I don't go in the ring too much, and I don't really oversell it. Right. I'm just saying, no, I'm not waving my hands like, no, 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 no. And I think they explained it somehow on the, you know, on the Japanese uh, mic and all that. But um, so there was a rematch, but that night, that was pretty exciting. And so they, what I thought, the fans were confused. I'm saying no, no and then Tori's saying yes, you know? So um, the final outcome was Flair got the bell back cause it, over the top, but then they had the rematch in St. Pete and Tori was a special referee. The Bayfront yeah. Center sold out on Christmas night or whatever it was. And mm-hmm. I was... That might have been... That might have been the first Super Brawl, if I remember right. I think that might. I'm, I think you might be right. Yeah, but the what question I always wondered about when you're refereeing a match with like Japanese talent or Spanish talent, is there a problem with the language barrier when you're trying to no, communicate? In no, no, because you know when I said I used to uh, be in Orlando, Florida every Sunday night, it, it was um, Eddie Graham Sports Complex. It was a big arena. And the heels and the baby faces would get dressed in two different dressing rooms across from each other. They were way across from each other. So the only communication was between me and them. Like the first batch, you know, they never talked. They would talk in the ring, you know what I mean? Yeah. And have this shit so together. So it's still the same concept with the Japanese. You know, a little communication problem if we all went out and 
you know, went to dinner, fucking, uh, uh, you know, but in the, in the wrestling, no. Okay. Cause no, I know in EC... the international language, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know in the ECW, Joey Styles always made a point to say that Pee Wee Moore spoke Japanese. That's why he always did like Tajiri's matches or like when Taka would come in. I don't know. That was a word for the shoot, but it might be a shoot. Um, I'm not sure if Pee Wee knew Japanese. I'm not sure. There might have been a word. Right. He might have known like specific phrases to work in there. But uh... Yeah, yeah. Oh, Joey Styles was great, wasn't he? Oh, he was awesome. Yeah. To do all, God, as much I, as he did by himself was, was incredible. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he was proud of doing pay-per-views by, for, yeah. by himself, you know what I mean? And he was just a young uh-huh. shit back then. He was in his, what, mid-20s when he started with Paul? With I would get, I guess, I guess, man, but, man, yeah. nobody could have done it better. Yeah. All right, we got one last question, then we'll wrap it up with you. Dwayne had one more question, right. and I actually thought, man, that's pretty interesting. So, do you have any, and if you do, what is your favorite story regarding Andre the Giant? Oh, I do got a good story on Andre the Giant. It was 1981, Miami Beach Convention Center. You remember I told you that Monday, West Palm, Tampa, Tuesday, Miami, Wednesday, Jacksonville, yeah. right, right. So, and they would send specialty. You know, we would use our own crew pretty much. And, you know, once or twice a year, Andre would come in and make the loop, you know, make Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Or they would send in uh, Abdullah the Butcher or, or the fabulous or you know the bitch but it was sometimes my job to pick them up and take them for the week or take them for the three days they were here and stuff but anyway this is the first time i met andre and real cool and you know we weren't buddies i just met him and i was refereed his match and i was already a main event referee and he had somebody backed into a turnbuckle. I think it might have been bobo brazil or something because bobo brazil was finishing up his career uh, when I was breaking in in 1980, and I was cool enough, got to so he had Bobo backed up into a turnbuckle, and I got behind Andre. And said, Andre hit him on the back, back up. So he backed up to break the hold, and he stepped on my right foot, and I heard a little crack or something, and it hurt like hell. But we, you know, the match continued, and so Andre the Giant stepped on my foot in 1981, and it still hurts today. Oh, <laughs> It's a pain that's going to linger. I think uh, there's like a hairline crack in that top bone in your foot. Uh-huh. And it never healed right or something. So doctors can't do anything. So every once in a while, it swells up like a guy. It swells up like 10% or 20% or something. Oh. And I see fucking under the dying stepped on my foot in 1981. <laughs> How cool was that? You know, oh, that's crazy. You know, I don't think we can top an Andre story. Fonzie, I'm not going to take up too much more of your time. Thank you so much for being here with us. Yeah, I'm sorry for the little bit of mix-up. Oh, that, uh, it happens. We're learning how to do all this. All cool. You guys are so cool about it, too. But, and I got my wife involved. Yeah. She does not want – I invite her to go to shows all the time, fly you know, up north. And she doesn't want to go. Yeah. Uh, she likes the business because I love it, you yeah. know, but – uh, but she was pretty cool, helpful. Thank you, guys. Yeah, well, Fonzie, Thanks so much, man. We definitely have to do this again because I've got we haven't even scratched the surface. I've got so many like dusty questions, among other things. I think if you ask Mark, he could probably help you write that book. <laughs> I could actually. I might know a guy <laughs> if you're interested. Really? Yeah. 
Really? Got a, I've got a buddy. Yeah, I got a friend who's done some ghost writing. He actually did some writing with uh, with Jake Roberts. So I can uh, shoot him a message and see if he'd be interested. All right. Let's see what kind of deal we can work. Yeah. Sure thing. Get you guys involved. Yeah. Well, Fonzie, thanks again, man. And uh, I hope you have a good night. And uh, you're going to be in uh, Pennsylvania at the end of the month making the rounds. So if anybody listening is in that area, keep an eye out. And uh, like I said, we'll do this again, hopefully sometime real soon, Fonzie. Yeah, absolutely. You got my personal number. Give it to your partners in crime there that did Oh, I don't think they want that. Uh, no, for real. They might <laughs> want to book it with me one night. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, so, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting you guys someday. Oh, absolutely. Thank you very much. All right, Fonzie. Thanks a lot. Thanks Bye. a million. Fonzie signing out. Tampa Bay, Daddy. <laughs> Good night. All right. That oh, was man. Fonzie. I that hope was, you guys enjoyed that. That was so cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our first interview. I think. I think it's our best interview. So that is, that it's absolutely is like the finest <laughs> interview we have ever done. It yes. definitely beats AJ Worstead. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah that AJ kid. <laughs> uh, I want to say that Floyd Fisher posted something up for us, and since we are trying to make sure we reach out to all the wrestling fans, this Saturday in Homer, Illinois, at the Homer Opera House, there's an unaffiliated show. It is the final match for local wrestler Shank Barzini. Great name. That is a good name. Uh, so anybody listening that wants to go see an unaffiliated, uh, I don't know if it's called pro, semi-pro, amateur, I don't know, but, I mean, it's along the same lines. Hey, Floyd, it's probably going to be bloodier than shit, too. Hey, Floyd, if you've got a flyer or something saved, uh, post that to the Jump in the Rail Facebook page. If yeah, you that'd would. be great. I do believe this is the the outfit that our friend Sherry is a part of. She oh, said okay. she was the marketing Yes, that director, might be. So that this might is be. the well, same group. Maybe we have to reach out to Sherry and say, uh, what do you know? Right, yeah. right. Who do you know? Yeah. So, guys, I think this is a good time to uh, to wrap things up after, uh, I think, just a phenomenal interview with Bill Alfonso. We had so many good stories. And like I said, I do think we should have him back sooner than later. But, uh, again, I want to thank Dustin Danger for uh, helping sponsor with the Rebels Fair Collective out of Oakwood. If you have musical lesson needs, recording, you need to you want to buy some vinyl or buy some instruments, go to Oakwood, find the Rebels Fair, and... Uh, Go see Dustin. But uh, the next uh, the next show we got and yeah. oh so I'm I'm gonna cut you off there yeah. before you Mark Mark's Mark's on a Fonzie high. I I'm think. on a Fonzie He's high. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm gonna throw it to Narge here. So. This was an awesome interview. We are gonna get somebody else from the Independence on here in about two weeks. Um, that our is a next gentleman show. Yeah, on our very next show live from Game Changer Wrestling, Alex Cologne. If anybody watches the Independence, they would know Alex. He is a he's a deathmatch ace. He's a deathmatch. Uh, is he special. is he the guy that like just fast as lightning in the ring that uh, we saw? Was he one of the fast? He, he guys was like, one of the, he was one of the guys with all the light tubes that you a lot saw. Of light oh, he was tubes. a light tube guy. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. But well, guys, uh, I can Al- just tell you that's a bloody mess. Yeah. Alex claimed to fame as he is GCW's Tournament of Survival Champion three times, and that is their huge deathmatch tournament. Uh, he defeated Atticus Kogar last year to win that. Hmm. Right after that match, he actually challenged Nick Gage uh, for a champion versus champion match that hasn't happened yet. So that's That'll, maybe soon. That is a match. I, if that, that happens, like hey, maybe maybe I when we talk in. to Alex, we might be able to get the skinny on some stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We uh, find out some stuff about him. Is uh, I know he worked CZW back in the day. 
uh, talk about GCW. I mean, we're all big fans of GCW, so we'll have a lot of questions for him. Absolutely, and I, you know, we're going to get into his history, where he'd like to go. Uh, mm-hmm. Alex sees the death match as, um, I mean, it's an art form. It really is, yeah. and he'll defend that. And uh, I'd love to hear it. I think it's, you know, deathmatch wrestling is a hot button issue. It's a very polarizing topic to some wrestling fans. I mean, but I heard, love it. You heard Fonzie say he's seen some guy do some crazy stuff that he, he wouldn't recommend. And right? I think Alex might be one of those yeah, he's guys. one of those guys. So. Yeah, he was talking about Matthew Justice on that. Yeah, and uh, Alex and Matthew were in the room. Well, we saw them team up in Chicago yeah. last month. Justice so. did a gainer off at the top of the cage. Yeah. So that would be a fun interview. Floyd yeah. also recommended or suggested or maybe was just, you know, on a lark, a JTR road trip to Cleveland for an AIW show with Fonzie. You know what? If the stars align, I would be in for that. It would be interesting. AIW's got a story. And it's Cleveland, and we know Cleveland rocks. Hello, Cleveland. AIW's got a storied history. Uh, yep. John Moxley, Kevin Owens, a yep. lot of those guys went through there. Mm-hmm. Um, their owner... Uh, passed away a couple years back and it was one of the first times i'd seen it well you know one of the first times that these guys had publicly came out and they acknowledged uh this gentleman so yeah. aiw still still running though great company uh yeah right there with gcw a little smaller scale i would say but yeah uh, they're bringing in pretty similar talent but yeah uh floyd if you've got a date on that show uh put it in the uh make it put it out there and then uh who knows maybe we'll see if we can make that happen but uh, until then, I think we're going to go ahead and we're going to call today for uh, Mike Nargelinas, for our producer Marco, for uh, the great Bill Alfonso. This and is, thank you to our sponsor, Dustin Danger, and the Rebels Fair Collective in Oakwood, Illinois. And this is Jumping the Rail, Episode 7. We'll see you for Episode 8 in two weeks. Later. Later.